This is Jameson Newlander from The Lost Boys, and you're listening to the Don't Go Out There horror movie podcast. Don't go out there. Don't, don't go out there. Just trust me. Just listen to the podcast and just don't go out there. All right? My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all the support. Uh, before we jump into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you just search for Don't Go Out There on those platforms, you'll find us. Or you can just go to our website, which I want to give a shout out to, don'tgooutthere.com. You can find all of our social medias there as well. And you can find all of our interviews, episodes, our store, our blog. You can find anything that's related to this podcast on there. Guys, Nico has said that this podcast will be free and will always be free and that will continue to be the case um we do however get people all the time ask us you know how can you help us out um well uh the biggest way that you can help us out is to support our sponsor loot crate every time anybody signs up uh with our code bf15 that's b as in brothers f as in frog 15 um then we get a little piece of uh, of everything that is uh, purchased, um, you know, and that helps us basically keep the lights on. So, um, you know, any any of the crates, anything that you buy from there, there's the fright crate, there's the pop culture crate, there's a ton of them, and you know, I'm actually a subscriber myself, um, and love it, love everything that we get. Um, so again, lootcrate.com. Put in the code BF15, B as in brothers, F as in Frank, 15, and that will get you 15% off and help us out a little bit. So, uh, again, thank you guys for everything. Uh, Tonight we're kicking off. We don't have a theme this month. We're all just picking a movie that we want to review ourselves. And tonight is Brother Dustin's pick, and he chose The Lost Boys. Uh, Dustin, you want to go first and tell us your general yeah, overview absolutely. and why you so, picked it? Uh, my general overview is that this is one of the best casts ever assembled. Um, it, from top to bottom, just everybody does a great job. I love this movie. This is one of those movies that, from the first time I saw it, it's just uh, it's just one of those movies that always stuck with me. Uh, I think it's entertaining. It has its horror elements. I don't necessarily think it's scary, obviously. Um, th- you know, the only scary thing about vampires is twilight um but i uh i i just really love this movie i i love the cast i can't say enough about the cast i love the screenplay i love the writing i love the script um it's the first time that we get Corey and Corey on screen together and they went on such a great run in the in the 80s uh being a duo in movies and so yeah when we when i was asked to be a full-time member of this show and uh, Brian was asking me what I wanted my character to look like in my animation. I said, you know, throw a hoodie on me because I'm a hoodie kind of guy. I wear hoodies a lot. And he's like, well, what kind of hoodie? And I was like, you know what? I love the Lost Boys. 
And he's like, well, what if we did a Lost Boys hoodie? And I was like, yeah, throw it on there. And honestly, I'm surprised that we made it over 100 episodes of this show without me picking it. So it was just time. It's, it's, a, it's a classic. It's a cult classic. Those two things didn't, are not always intertwined, right? You can have classic movies that don't have a cult following. True. You can have cult classics that aren't widely regarded as a great movie or as a classic. To me, this one checks both of those boxes. So it was just time for us to knock this one out, and I'm excited to get into it. All right, I'll go next. Because uh, no one's surprised I'd never seen this movie uh, before this week. <laughs> and honestly, um, I never even heard of this movie, honestly, until we started this podcast. Uh, this was my first watch, and honestly, I really I, I enjoyed it. I won't say I loved it, but I liked it. It was fun. Um I think the look of Kiefer Sutherland when he finally reveals as a vampire, I thought was amazing. I thought it was great. Um, I always love Corey Feldman ever since Tommy Jarvis, Friday the 13th. I've always had a soft spot for him. I really like a lot of his movies from when he was a kid. Uh, Stand By Me, I love it. The Goonies was, was cool. Uh, so, yeah, I had fun watching this movie. I won't say I loved it, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Brian, you want to go next? Um, sure. I, I love this movie. Um, I'll go ahead and say that this is like my actually my second favorite in the franchise. Um, that top spot's reserved for the tribe, but but man, I, I do love this movie and I always have. Um, you know, this movie made vampires cool, um, and and most vampire movies up to the point uh, when this was released it was it was pretty much like the old school Dracula. You know, the, the this movie. I mean, the, the most the poster even says like sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. I mean, that, that just, that epitomizes this movie. Um, you know, of course we know my love for most thing eighties. And, you know, this is one of those films that's sexy as fuck, badass as fuck and eighties as fuck, which, which means Nico's going to hate it. I thought, but uh, you're that's not, not wrong. I was anyway, wrong. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Nico. I love you. Just kidding. Um, but the soundtrack, look, the soundtrack to me is just disgustingly awesome. Cry Little Sisters, so badass in this film, which is a mistake. I, I thought they made in the sequels. They squeezed it in there, but not enough for me. And But this one's like, you want Cry Little Sister? Here it is, motherfuckers. So I, I love that. Um, it's probably Joel Schumacher, rest in peace. Probably his best film. That, In my opinion, he's my, it's my favorite film anyway. Um, you know, but, uh, but Richard Donner actually produced this and was going to direct it himself. Um, he was fresh off Superman success a few years earlier, but went on to do uh, Lethal Weapon instead. So couldn't 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 lose. Worked out for everyone. Um, Dustin brought up the cast. I thought it was fucking amazing. Sutherland, Haim, Feldman, like you talked about, Jamie Gertz, um, Jason Patrick, and friend of the show, Jameson Newlander. Um, oh, and Bill S. Preston Esquire. I mean, yes. okay, Alex Winter. But uh <laughs> But just just amazing, and sorry for all the f bombs. I got us. I definitely got us an R rating just on my intro. But go ahead. Yeah. So uh, right off the top, I'm not a fan of of uh, vampire films uh, as a rule of thumb, anyway. Generally speaking, I'm not. However, I will say that this one is entertaining. Um, is it scary? No. Do I? think it's horror that's another topic for another day but i do think it's entertaining um uh my enjoyability factor i struggle with this because some parts i think is really really good and some parts i'm just like golly can we get on with it 
but a couple things you guys already mentioned. The cast is fantastic. The Corys, uh, you know, I and and everyone else really. I mean, the mom is so relatable to a lot of moms. Like this, so the movie I like it. Um, I didn't grow up with this movie, obviously. I have no nostalgia for it, obviously. Um, but I don't. But I, as a you know, generality, the '80s is something I struggle with sometimes because there is a cheese factor where certain things don't age well. I don't think this movie has that problem though. I think this movie does a pretty good job. Effects hold up for the most part. Um, there's some stuff in here that I don't like, and we'll get to it. Uh, but but it's a it's a pretty good vampire movie. Um, now I'll be honest, you know, everyone else on the show tries to get me on movies I haven't seen. I've never seen any of these sequels. I've seen this before. Um, I so this is like my third viewing of this film. Uh, but I've never seen any of the sequels. I have no idea what happens after this movie. Um, but it's really oh, fun. Hey, I'm def- I'm definitely picking that. Chalk this up because I'm definitely picking <laughs> the sequel so that we can review a movie yeah. that Mike's never seen. <laughs> uh, I will say I think Kiefer Sutherland. The fact that he's even in this is cool. A uh, little you know, Jack Bauer and and designated survivor as you know as time goes on. I think it's kind of cool to see him in an early role like this. Uh, and, you know, Nico kind of touched on it where I think the look of him when he's finally revealed is good. So there, I love the way this movie is shot. So good for Joel Schumacher and the cinematography. Like it's very unique and different, and it's dark in a way, but it, in a good way. Uh, and I just think there's a lot of good here. However, I'm not a big vampire movie guy, so I get a little taken out of it. Now, if just as a fun '80s movie, this has that charm, but I don't have any love. Like I, I like '80s stuff. I like '80s music for dang sure, and I. Uh, but '80s movies, kind of, I can go e- either way on. So I'm looking forward to talk about it because it appears I'm maybe in, in the minority with this as far as my rating. <laughs> uh, I'm the cast out tonight. Sorry, Nico. Oh no, I think I think me and you will be pretty close in our rating, to be honest. Okay. Um, y'all got any more opening thoughts? We're jumping to it. Let's do it. No, let's go. All right, sorry if I sound bad. My nose is stuffy right now. Uh, The film starts with overhead shots of the ocean leading into a title card and into a boardwalk carnival. We see some guys walking along the carousel ride hitting on girls. Then a fight ensues with her boyfriend. The security guard tells him to stay off the boardwalk as he restrains him, and he kicks them off. Uh, The guy that they kicked off, David, he gets a good look and says, let's go, boys. That night when the boardwalk is empty, we see the guard walking to his car and we get like a flying POV shot of something or someone flying towards the guard. He takes off running when he sees it. He can't get in the car and is snatched into the air, ripping his door off the car. Opening credits roll with overhead shot of a car driving with a trailer behind it. We meet Lucy and her two boys, Michael and Sam. Sam says it smells like someone died and the billboards back, the backside of the billboard says is graffitied with, Murder capital of the world. More opening credits with sights around town. Now we see Michael going around job hunting. They get to a house and find Grandpa on the porch. They think he's dead and ask to go back to Phoenix, but he arises with a joke. 
Sam thinks it's a cool place if you like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sam complains that they have no TV as well. <laughs> and then the grandpa, he jokes to Lucy about her and her divorce, how she's the only one who didn't get out better. The boys chase each other and find a room full of animal-like carcasses or stuffings, whatever. But grandpa tells them to stay away from the second shelf in the fridge. They ask if Santa Carla is the myrtle capital of the world. Doesn't have a TV, but he likes to read the TV guide. I thought that was pretty funny. Back to the carnival, and we see a buff guy singing and playing a big-ass saxophone. Michael becomes infatuated with a young lady in the crowd, staring intensely as she vibes and dances. She walks away, and he chases after her. Lucy walks around the boardwalk and goes into a store when she sees a help-wanted sign. The guys from the carousel enter the video store now. Lucy asks the store owner if that this kid she found, the lost kid's mother, may be in here and reunites them together. Max, the owner, tells the guys not to come in here and calls them wild kids. They ride off on their motorcycles. Max asks, how can I help you? And she says she needs a job, not any videos. Sam notices Michael is chasing after that girl, and Sam goes into the comic book store. He's stared at by Edgar and Alan Frog and interrogated about his fashion choices. He's looking for a Batman comic, and then he starts rearranging the out-of-order comics. Edgar gives him a vampire comic, and says it might save your life. Star and Laddie get on the bikes and take off as Michael stares on. The couple from the horse ride are in the in their car kissing, and then the like the roof of their car is ripped off, and then the two are grabbed away from someone flying. Are right, that's the two opening scenes they got, Brian? You want to kick us off? What'd you yeah, think? Man. Well, there's a lot going on in these opening scenes here. Um, so again, just pump "Cry Little Sister" into my veins, man. I love I love that song, especially at the beginning. Um, little fun fact, Gerard McMahon wrote it after, uh, only reading the script and without ever seeing a frame of the film. Another fun fact about McMahon, he also wrote the soundtrack for Trick or Treat, who you can find a review of that on don'tgooutthere.com. Um, but starting out on with it, you know, in that, that beautiful overhead shot of the Ferris wheel and the, the Santa Cruz board beach boardwalk, which like, that's what stays with me out of this movie more than anything is just is just like the boardwalk and just the cinematography of that boardwalk for some reason. Um, also, according to IMDb, this merry-go-round sequence actually foreshadows the the order in which the Lost Boys die <clears throat> with uh, with Marco dying first, Paul second, um, Dwayne third. And I'm gonna, it, you know, the, the, the fun fact says David last, but I'm going to leave that for, for later because that's debatable. Um, you know, and, and Mike brought him up, you know, Kiefer motherfucking Sutherland. Look, he's so good in this. You know, I read he was actually reluctant at first to film this as well until he learned some uh, some details on the soundtrack and loved the band so much he signed on. But thank God, because we all know that any film is only as good as the villains. And again, this movie like blurred that line so much because the supposed villains were cool and uh, they were who you wanted to be. So I, I think that's definitely something you you can relate with, or at least I can relate with Michael later on. Um, you know, I thought getting the, the first person view as like the fat cop in the opening gets picked off, which I don't think this is him, but my man, that guy looked just like that fat Lieutenant Eckhart from the 1989 Batman. I don't know. Yes. You know some, some, some of our listeners know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I love how you get that main land, landmark in the boardwalk like early, but then you just kind of get the sights and sounds from all around Santa Cruz, like the kind of setting the atmosphere. Um, want to point out the soundtrack again with that whole Doors cover of uh, People Are Strange early on here, absolutely, that sounds almost exactly like the True Blood intro, which 100%, I'm sure, was influenced by this. 
Um, which, by the way, did you catch that goth chick like licking a real rat? I don't know what the fuck that was about, but that was I, I was like, what? What the hell is going on here? Um, but uh, and no, I do like Michael. But we get introduced to my favorite character in this entire movie, Grandpa. Bernard Hughes, Grandpa. He's known for Tron, Doc Hollywood. But I love him in this. Um, as a matter of fact, and I just thought about this. They need to do a prequel with him as a young vampire hunter. Man, I would have watched the shit out of that movie. Um, real quick, lastly, you know, Jamie Gertz, who actually, coincidentally enough, like I didn't even know started here. I was a big Twister and Still Standing fan. And uh, and honestly, I watched this after those. No idea why it took me so long to watch this movie, but it, it definitely made her appreciate her more. Um, weird comparison, but it's like this Twin Pines Mall, like little digital clock I have in, in my kid's playroom. My son's looked at that thing like 50 million times, but just thought it was just some stupid normal clock until he watched Back to the Future and was like, holy crap, that's our clock. So like now he's got a, a new appreciation line for it, you know, kind of like I do Gertz. So that that actually made a little bit of sense. Um, who, by the way, is married and part owner herself of the Atlanta Hawks. Little fun fact. Speaking of rich ass people, and I don't mean Mike, we get freaking Richie Rich's dad. And her and, and Edward Herman, who, man, I mean, once you know the twist at the end, the way he looks at the Lost Boys and exchanges those glances in that movie or in the yeah, the movie store with with David. I mean, shit, I, I could honestly go on and on, especially about this opening, because like you're introduced to literally everyone. But I'll shut up and let Mike go. Go ahead. Man. Yeah. So you, you know, you touched on a lot of things I had to say, but also take cry little sister. Sorry. No, that's OK. I, I'm OK with it. Cry Little Sister, also inject that right into my veins. Great stuff. Um, the whole soundtrack, you guys touched on it. I love it. Um, the the cinematography and these opening shots are fantastic to me. Um, the way they shoot the Ferris wheel, the pier, you know, all that stuff. The, you know, even this, you know, the scene in the merry-go-round or a carousel, whatever you call that. I think it's really, really well shot, well done. Um, and again, this opening scene, the opening credit scene anyway, is very, very 80s. And, and I, I mean that endearingly in a good way. I think they do a good job of kind of like capturing that essence of what a good 80s film is. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it's really, really well done. You also said your favorite character is Grandpa. My favorite character is also Grandpa. He's fantastic. He's, he adds humor and levity. It's really good. Um, I think he's a really, really strong character. You know, we get uh, introduced to all the Lost Boys, but I kind of mentioned Kiefer Sutherland. I love him in 24. I love him in Designated Survivor. I really love him here as well. Uh, you get both Corys, uh, Haim and Feldman. And again, big fans of them for the most part. I like a lot of stuff that they're in. Uh, Michael, who I think is a good character. And I think... Jason Patrick delivers a good performance, especially in this, you know, these opening scenes right here. Makes He just kind of comes across as a very normal teenager to me. Uh, you know, they're kind of getting used to a new environment, moving to a fictional town, which is based on Santa Cruz, which is actually, fun fact, I'm going to spoil it and not save it for later. It's actually the murder capital of the world at that time anyway, because of all the serial killings and stuff. So that was kind of a little bit of a fun fact there. Um, but I really think these opening scenes are great because a lot of these characters are very relatable. The mom is very relatable. Uh, Diane, uh, is that Weast? 
Is that how you say her name? I believe uh, so. She's in other stuff that we've done. She's in other stuff that we've done. Yes, correct? Or she's in some uh, – well, well, I'll tell you right now. Here's another fact. She is in the Netflix new movie right now, I Care A Lot, uh, that a lot of people were talking about. She's in that as the as the mom in that movie. So it's kind of fun to see her here as a, as a younger mom. Uh, but I really like the opening set of scenes. I think <laughs> I know the grandpa lives in California, but it looks like he could live in Florida where I'm from. Just being honest, there's stuffed gators and raccoons and all kinds of other crap that that's there. So, uh, and I, you know, I believe that Jason Patrick and Corey Haim are brothers. I really, they do a very good job. Again, I can't speak highly enough of the cast. Um, yeah. And, and, right. And very, very believable setup. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole family and Corey Feldman, it's very kind of, you know, they, he's touched on this in interviews where this you know, he kind of played some different characters up to this point. And this character had to be a little more macho. Uh, and I don't know if he gets that across, but it almost kind of works because he doesn't like it's, very, you know, he takes this, uh, he takes himself very seriously as a vampire hunter or slayer or whatever. And I think it works really, really well. Uh, you know, Jameson Newlander, you cannot tell me that they're not named Edgar and Allen for no reason. I, <laughs> right? That can't be a coincidence. It's not. Got to be Edgar Allen. No, yeah. Got to be. Yeah. Right. It's got to be a little right. tip of the cap. It, it, it's, yeah. it, it's a reference for sure. Right. Yeah. And and uh, so I think that's fun. Like, you know, once I picked up on that, I'm like, oh, that's pretty fun. So uh, all the scenes in the video store. I'll be honest, the first time I ever saw this movie, I wasn't suspicious of Max. I'm not going to spoil the end, obviously, but uh, I wasn't very suspicious of him. So job well done on there. But uh, also, last thing, Jamie Gertz, call me sometime. Hey, yeah, and Diane Weist, or uh, Weist, however you say that, um, she wasn't anything that we've done, but I bet you you're remembering her from Independence Day. That's, um, oh, she's she great. Was, yes. Golly. Yes. That, that's, yes, yes, yes. From. Yes. that's about the only thing. That and Edward Scissorhands are about the only thing. Well, I would say she's in Edward Scissorhands, but she's definitely in the in the new Netflix movie with the uh, – the the I, I it's called I Care A Lot, but it's really, really well done as well. So, yeah, uh, as far as the – opening scenes here uh we get right into it i love the way that the opening shot is just we we come in from the ocean and we go into the boardwalk and and the the soundtrack just instantly is so 80s and so awesome Uh, i love the uh the the opening scene there the way it's shot uh and like you said i love that when we get straight to it we get on the the merry-go-round uh the carousel whatever you want to call it there i love that we're introduced to this crew we don't know what's going on with them we don't know they're vampires obviously at first uh but we can instantly pick up that they're up to no good there's something off with these guys uh but but you know they look very attractive they're a good looking young bunch they're appealing they're cool they're uh you know and so that that's a that's a big appeal i know that joel shoemaker said that uh when he was brought on to do this movie his thing was vampires are not monsters. When you think of monsters, you think of Frankenstein. We think of vampires. They're supposed to be young, sexy, cool, uh, appealing. And he did a great job or they did a great job of casting here to get that point across because, uh, from the opening shot, you, like I said, you don't know what's going on with Kiefer Sutherland, David and his crew, but you know that that's probably who you want to run around with. They're the cool kids. 
Um, they do a great job of making uh, Santa Carla look like it's just full of vagabonds. It's a it's a place that you don't want to be. I like how when they're riding in a town, uh, you you get him uh, in the back seat. You get Michael kind of turn around and look at the back side of the billboard, and you see that murder capital of the world, um, and you you see you know Sam and uh, the mom. They don't even notice that. They don't look. Their eyes are forward. They're having a good time in the car. Lucy is such a mom, right? Like that's that's one of the things I appreciate the most about this movie, and. I mean this in the most endearing way possible, but too often times movies cast families and you're like, there's no way that she's a mom. There's no way that she's their mom. There's no way that this family dynamic makes sense based on the way they look. Lucy, Diane Weiss, she just looks like the mom in this scene. Right. And so I like the way they did that. Um, then you get to meet grandpa and it's the, uh, it's the same thing. Like he, fits in you could see him being this kooky grandfather out in california that they're moving in with from from phoenix they don't know much about him because he lives a state away but uh he welcomes him in with open arms great job of writing great uh great family dynamic that they've built there just with the cast i agree with what you guys said uh, J- uh jason patrick and Corey haim they definitely pass as brothers it's a great dynamic that they have great natural chemistry uh, the one thing that I will say, though, it's kind of a I wish they would have explored their relationship a little bit further. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, in this set of scenes, we see them. They seem to be close, uh, but we don't get enough backstory to really know. And we don't build on the chemistry enough before there's the uh, the, the the plot lines, you know, the plot thickens. And so uh, we see them walk through the house and. Uh, he, he's really concerned about not having a TV, not having MTV and all this. And Michael's telling him, Hey, we're flat broke, bud. You know, we got to do what we got to do. And then you see them joking around when they see the pot plants out the window, when they open up the, the room and see the, uh, all the animal carcasses, uh, and they joke and Michael's like, you know, talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You get Sam with that, that innocent little brother thing where he just laughs and puts his head against his forehead against Michael's cheek. That stood out to me because that's something that the closest of siblings would do. But if they're just siblings, it wouldn't. And the reason I bring that up is I think that if there's one thing I think this this movie fails on is they didn't exploit the dynamic between Michael and Sam enough before we saw the division, which will come in the later scenes. It's not enough to deter me. It's not enough to, uh, you know deduct points from my rating or anything, but it's just one of those things I wish that they would have done more. Um, Cause I've got. S- hey, Dustin, since you brought that yes. up, can I ask you something about this? So, cause I've got this in my notes and I know you're, you love this movie, but hell you picked it. But see, like the one thing I didn't care for this at all is I just really didn't understand the way that they wrote Sam. Like to me, it's like everything from, the needing the closet closed, the singing in the bathtub like later, or, you know, what it's almost like they wrote the part for someone that was six years old or something like way younger than what he is. And then like, and then it was like Schumacher didn't change anything about it whenever they cast Haim, which I mean, I know, I know that they originally wrote it for, you know, kind of, kind of be a Goonies type movie and, 
And, you know, they, like you said, Schumacher insisted they change it all to teenagers. And I get that, but it was almost like they didn't change Sam's character right. when they cast an older kid. To me, it's just, he was almost playing yeah, way too young in what he was. Oh, I had a big problem with that bathroom scene. Big, big problem. But it wasn't just it's, that. It was right. Like, no, it's it the inconsistencies. Right. It's like, like you said, Sam goes from acting right. like a sweet, innocent little boy to being this self-sufficient teenager. And he does it scene to scene. Like Sam being concerned with MTV, you know, uh, missing out on uh, pop culture to just like, like, yeah. like I said, that's, I don't know why, but that image of him putting his forehead to Michael's cheek and laughing like that, like that just struck me as something a very innocent little boy would do when he's got a strong bond with his older brother. Uh, a teenager yeah. would not do that. Um, and we gets into, but then they, they make him older again when he, when we, he meets the frog brothers and he's in the comic book store and he's talking about Batman number 14. It's a very serious book. Uh, you know, he knows his stuff there. And so he's very mature. He's very, uh, knowledgeable about the subject matter at hand. And then it goes right back down to, uh, immaturity and, and childishness when he's singing in the bathtub. So yeah. That, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. It's it's very inconsistent with how uh, how Sam's written, but also the dynamic between the brothers. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you think this. Yeah. No, you're not. And but like I said, it's not enough to deter me. It's not enough to uh, hinder my opinion of the movie at all. But it's just one of those things that stood out to me. Uh, the the funniest thing about when they go out to the boardwalk at night and they're looking around, they're at the concert. That dude that's playing saxophone looked like a character from Vincent Kennedy McMahon's 1997 WWF. Like that looked like Triple H up on stage oh, playing the saxophone. That dude is, <laughs> or, yeah, or Shawn he's Michaels. Jacked. Yeah, he's got absolutely. the long flowing hair. He's covered in baby oil. Like that, <laughs> you can't tell me that's not a professional wrestler gimmick that they ripped off for this movie, or that he's a rock star. Pat. <laughs> Look how vascular he was. Um, but yeah, uh, so like I said, with this opening scene, we see the star power all around. Every, every character we've been introduced to, we love. Like we like. Okay, uh, I'm in. Uh, they did a great job of casting. There's no one that was miscast in this movie, in my opinion. I do like how uh, Lucy went to the uh, you know Max's store and she's looking around, and it was very man. You want to talk about offensive? Is when he's like, oh, we've got the finest selection of videotapes, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, I'm not looking for a ta uh, tape. What I'm looking for. And he just cuts her off. And he's like, you're looking for a job. It's like, dang, man, like cut her some slack. She doesn't look that homely. She's just a mom. Uh, and, she, and I thought it was funny. She's like, I look that desperate. Like, No, you don't. You look fine, girl. Don't worry about that. But uh, great set of scenes. I love it. Um, there's There's enough going on to where. I can't guess the ending. I can't guess the climax. I can't really guess what's going on. I know that there's some bad brewing because I see this uh, vagabond crew and I see something swoop down out of the sky and steal these kids, uh, rip the carter off, uh, you know, grab the uh, security guard and fly off with him. But I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a big bird. Maybe it's a pterodactyl. Maybe this is the prequel to Jurassic Park. I don't know at this point. I don't have any reason to assume that they're vampires. <laughs> Um, except for, you know, obviously the frog He's brothers wild, giving them the, the, uh, what'd you say? <laughs> he ignored you. The Babadook. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, that was a great film, Babadook. I'm glad I spent 
couple hours watching that. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, you know, we, we get the, the comic books with the Frog Brothers and everything. And so we get the illusion that there's vampires. But do we have any reason to really believe it? I don't know. Uh, so it's just a great set of scenes to pique your interest. There's probably more going on in this set of scenes than anything. In, I mean, than any single I set, agree. probably the rest of the movie. There's a lot going on in this group. And uh, I, before I go to the next two scenes, I just wanted to uh, applaud you, Brian and Dustin, for that discussion. Because there was something about Sam that just, <clears throat> excuse me, that just kind of bothered me a little bit. Like, I like his character. I think he did it well. But y'all made a great point. Like, there was like some uncertainty in the written, like how they, his they wrote his character. And there's something later on in the movie that bothers me about Sam as well, but I'm sure it's for everybody. But that was a good discussion, guys. Um, the next day, Grandpa shows Sam his prize car. They get in and crank it up and listen to it purr. Let's go to town, he says, and then he immediately shuts it right off. That's closest to town I like to get, he says. Sam is back in the comic store, and the Frog Brothers ask if they've noticed anything strange around Santa Clara. They bring up vampires in town. And they don't just work for their folk store. They have a higher purpose. They give him the vampire comic again and say there's a number on the back and pray you never have to call us. Michael, he, he cops a new jacket and is styling and profiling on the boardwalk. He stops at a piercing booth but is swept away by the star, the young lady he was infatuated with. He follows her and she says if you want a real piercing, she'll do it. He calls her a hippie for her name. David and his three friends look on and ride up on them on their motorcycles. She tells them she's going on a ride with Michael. David steals her back and tells him to go to Hudson's Bluff. He says, just try and keep up. We're going for a ride. They all take off, and I guess these bikes have the smoothest suspension system ever because there's no bouncing as they ride along the beach, through the woods, and all different kinds of terrain. Michael and David drive neck and neck, and David eggs him on. Come on, Michael. Michael crashes and realizes he almost drove off a cliff and into the ocean. He jumps up and punches David. He asks, how far are you willing to go, Michael? We see them go into this hangout spot of theirs. It was the hottest resort in Santa Clara 85 years ago, but it sank into the crack when the big one hit. David gives Michael, I just wrote it as a blunt, that's what I guess it is, and tells him you'll like it here. Lucy checks on Sam before bedtime and he makes sure she closes his closet door. She says one of the reasons she divorced his dad was because he didn't believe in the closet monsters. Grandpa barges in and leaves a stuffed beaver by his bed. Sam puts in Sam puts in his closet, feeding time with David and, and back at the bluff, feeding time and they have Chinese food. Michael refuses the Chinese food. Then he realizes he's eating maggots, but then he's offered noodles, which are worms, but they're not really worms. I wrote, my man is high AF. David says, get the wine. Drink some of this, Michael. Be one of us, he says. Michael grabs his bottle, and the other three chant his name. Star says, you don't have to do it, Michael. It's blood. He turns the bottle upside down. We see a montage of their night as he drinks more of the wine. All right, go ahead, Brian. That was the next two scenes. Hey, Mike, he said blunt. Is that the marijuanas? I'm just making sure. That's, <laughs> that's the pot, brother. You, that's the marijuana? That's when people <laughs> smoke the pot. <laughs> The uh, anyway, anyway um, I wasn't sure if it was going to get brought up in that last group of scenes or not, but since it wasn't, I want to point out the irony in the Batman comic references. And obviously, Schumacher was such a huge Batman fan. 
Uh, and ironic that he would go on to single-handedly kill the franchise's Tim Burton. I was going to say, line, for but, being okay. such a big Moving fan, on. what the f- – what the <laughs> – uh, R.I.P. Such, such a, tra- such a well, tragic well, first ending. Well, first of all, the, um, Michael, uh, the Tim Burton run ended after the first two. Batman Forever wasn't Tim Burton, but it was still respectable. Batman Forever was just a, a wet fart noise. Batman, Batman and Robin. No, Batman was a Robin was a wet Batman fart Forever noise. was respectable. Yeah, Forever. Uh, I don't know. Okay, it's all right. Anyway, um, and and we can't forget to talk about you know the last group of scenes we we did. I think, but friend of the show, Jameson Newlander. Um, I won't say too much because depending on when you're listening to this, we may have a little surprise for you in store with one of the Frog Brothers. Hint, hint. But uh, speaking of brothers of sorts. Um, we all know what Corey Feldman and Haim would go on to do later. And uh, Dustin kind of talked about that, but um, you know, you guys were kind of talking about the chemistry of, of Mike and uh, um, Corey Haim, uh, Sam, I, I really could see honestly the chemistry between like the Corey's and, and just in their interaction. I mean, you can kind of see how that really, you know, kind of dwelled up some magic that they would have the rest of the time, you know, and I really do love the frog brothers because I mean, they're almost the secondary character in this movie. I mean, and the next one, but the third one is basically about them. But I think it, I think it, this works the best because you need them to kind of drive that plot and deliver that whole off the wall vampire dialogue to the audience. You know, that, that other movies probably would have had Sam like find in some book or something, you know, you know what I'm saying? But, but like they'd almost be a little too over the top to probably carry the movie. You know, if the movie was about, the frog brothers. And I mean, obviously I guess that just depends on your opinion of the third one, but in this one and in the next one, I think it works very well with them being kind of secondary characters. Um, the bike scenes very well shot. Um, it is again, I mean, it seems like such a dull word to use to describe it, but it kind of epitomizes cool, which, you know, everything, everything with the vampires does throughout this whole film. And, uh, I know I said it earlier, but, but you or, or I did anyway, relate to Jason Patrick's Michael. Like he obviously goes on to do great things as he did the rest of the cast. You know, they all did this, but he plays this role so well. And and I could really see why he would go on to do big things. You know, he, he could be any one of us and he plays it so good where, you know, he gets lured in by this just sexiness. That is everything with the lost boys are doing and, and kind of represent. And uh, you know, this, this bike riding scene really showcases that so well with all the, the visuals of the smoke, the headlights, um, now I applauded the soundtrack earlier, but I did not like the song during this ride and the bikes like lost in the shadows is the name of that song. And it didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, I wanted to point out that I think, a, an old hotel that fell into the earth is one of the most badass ideas for a layer that I've ever heard of. That's incredible. That's, that's just, that's awesome. That's only second to the Ninja Turtles sewers layer. Um, or Batman's Batcave, I guess if we're going into Batman, but, uh, I already kind of in this where I had my notes, I was talking about Sam kind of being a little too kiddy in parts in this. But, you know, lastly, again, this group of scenes just ends up with this whole like sexy ass wine drinking montage. And it's to me, it's made just a little bit more special because you get but but you get like almost a uh, how do you describe it? Just just a tip, per se, of uh, of cry little sister here. And so I love I love this. I love this movie up to this point for sure. Yeah, so um, I like the introduction to the Frog Brothers, or at least you know the scene with them. Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned 
uh, Corey and Jameson. I think, yeah, I like this uh, this scene in the movie store because it seems like very genuine dialogue. Uh, <laughs> Sam is me here where it's like, yeah, okay, buddy, vampires, yeah, whatever, man. Because that, that would be me. I wouldn't believe that for a second. But the Frog Brothers take it so seriously and they take themselves so seriously. It's kind of hard to completely just dismiss. You know, hope you never find, you know, hope you never have to call us or whatever. And Sam's like, yeah, okay, man, whatever. Like that's kind of, I can relate to Sam in that, in that situation. So I like that. You know, moving on to this bike scene, this ride scene. I love how this scene is shot. It, it, you know, you, you kind of touched on the big points of this scene, Brian. This is a very cool scene. Like, even if you're, even if you grew up in a completely different era, you can relate to what Michael is going through here. He just wants to fit in. He's in a new town. He's, you know, there's these cool guys on motorcycles. He has a bike. It's not as cool as those bikes, but, you know, he kind of wants to find a place to fit in, and he does here. And I think the way it's shot, the way it's done, where it's just them riding. And, again, the music is suspect, but I think it's really well done. A, a old hotel sunken in is a really cool idea. Um, now, one nitpick, and it is a very minor nitpick, the – the stuff in the wine bottle doesn't look like blood to me. It just kind of looks like uh, juice. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, however, I will give them credit for the idea of that turning someone into a vampire. Nine times out of ten, someone has to get bit. And in this movie, you don't get that. You get something a little different, and it's believable. Like, it checks out with me. Okay, you drink this blood, now you're a half vampire or whatever. And so I think that's really interesting and i like that they went that direction um again very very relatable to the character of michael one we share a name so shout out to you but also just the fact that at you know at that age you're kind of looking to do anything to be cool and the lost boys have a cool look especially in the 80s and so um really fun set of scenes like Again, there's some inconsistencies with Sam, which I know we've all touched on, but the scene with his mom, like there's nothing wrong with a, a very uh, mom and son like endearing scene. There's nothing wrong with that, but closet monsters and stuff like that, just very inconsistent writing. I know it's supposed to be a little younger, skewed, but again, kind of took me out of his character for a little bit there, like closet monsters, whatever, man. Now, Screw that grandpa for giving him a dang beaver. I mean, if you're going to get Whoa, a beaver, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? Screw that grandpa? No, 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 no. He's the man. He's the Okay, man. he is the man. However, I don't want a beaver for my bedside. You know? Maybe a different... I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm just saying. It's a little creepy. Don't say it. Don't say I'm it. I'm not don't saying say it. it. <laughs> I'm not saying it. Uh, but <laughs> I'm definitely not saying it. But, again, this is a fun set of scenes, and... So far, you know, I kind of where my problems with the movie start is where the over the top vampire stuff kicks in. So it's honestly, that's just my fault for not liking vampire movies up to this point. It's a cool 80s movie to me. Like I, I'm thoroughly enjoying these these two sets of scenes we've talked about so far. And, and again, one thing I want to praise and I can't I almost can't do it enough is the cast, the acting. Everyone's character is casted really 
well. Jamie Gertz as star plays that character so well. Like, and Kiefer Sutherland, you know, he's so he 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 talks in like this low, like creepy, you know, come on, Michael. Like it's very, it's very different, very odd, but I like it. I, I think the acting here is really where it's what shines through. Now, again, the plot kind of starts to taper off later in the movie, but so far, so good. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, to piggyback off that before I get into uh, my breakdown of the set of scenes, uh, one thing that I do wish that this movie would have done, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, uh, well, who am I kidding? I, I expect two of the three of you to have seen this movie, but uh, Interview with the Vampire. I, I like how in that movie, uh, absolutely, in that movie, absolutely. they really put an emphasis on how old uh, the vampires actually are. I wish we would have got a little bit of that with right. David. Uh, I wish that we would have got a little bit more backstory about how long they've been this way, uh, but that's okay. You know, it's just a, it didn't do it didn't take away from the storyline. Even it's just a personal preference on that. But uh, anyway, I in my last breakdown, last set of scenes breakdown, I did jump the gun with talking about the comic book scene in the store. That's my bad because I was kind of. Jumping all over the place, and I got ahead of myself in the notes. But yeah, I uh, stand by everything I said. I, I love the Frog Brothers, the the dynamic, the skepticisms they show as Sam's walking around the store. Uh, the dialogue between them, uh, you know, it's just a it's a great set of scenes to introduce us to these characters. Um, I love that. Let me see here. I love that we get a good a good look at the family dynamic of Grandpa, but. Again, what's confusing to me is they seem like Grandpa's always been a part of their lives. However, it also feels like this is the first time the kids have ever been inside his home. Um, you know, he's a very natural grandfather. It's not like he's been absent from their life in the way he's acting with them or anything. Um, but when they were walking around his house earlier and they find out there's no TV and they find the room of all the dead animals, it's like the first time they've ever seen it. So little confusion there, but it's okay. It's just minor details that they let go. Um, Michael, man, my boy has got it bad like Usher said. He is in love, and I do not blame him because Jamie Gertz, uh, you know, I peek behind the curtain here. She was a childhood crush of mine when she was in Twister. I loved her in Twister. I thought that Bill Paxton made the wrong guy. He made the wrong decision by getting a divorce to get back with Helen Hunt. And I love Helen Hunt. It's just Jamie Gertz is that much of a Fox. Um, you know, he's really wanting to, I like what you guys said. Uh, he's really just wanting to fit in. Uh, and that's absolutely right. He's new. He wants to, he doesn't want to be, picked on and bullied as being this weird new kid. So he's going to do everything he can to fit in, but also to impress star. Um, that was a great line there when he asked her her name and she's like, star. And he's like, Oh, yours too. That's a great, that's smooth right there, Bubba. Uh, you know, my family, my parents were hippies too, blah, blah, blah. I like the dynamic between them. Uh, it's great. Now a little bit of thing that wasn't, uh, I, <sighs> It wasn't bad, but it's just kind of a head scratcher is, you know, when they when he's eating the Chinese food or whatever it is, and there's maggots and you see the maggots moving and then you see the uh, uh, worms and it turns out to just be noodles. 
Like I was, I don't know that that part could have been left out to me. Uh, you already had him eating maggots or whatever it was. There's no need to do the mind trick thing with the worms and noodles. Uh, it didn't do anything to advance any storylines or anything. Just, just leave that out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great set of scenes though, because you get, like I said, he's trying to fit in. He doesn't want to be the weird kid. He's already thrown down the maggots and been grossed out by that. So, of course, whatever David says, drink this, he's going to drink because he has to prove his machismo in front of the ever lovely star. And he drinks it and he starts tripping, tripping out uh, like he just took a hit of acid immediately. Uh, <laughs> it's it kind of funny how that stuff just hit. Uh, I've never drank blood, but I can't imagine I would go on a trip immediately like I just did peyote. Uh, but he's kind of feeling airy and the camp. There's great cinematography by getting that point across, letting you know that something was off and a great set of great cinematography in the bike ride as well. Nico, I like what you said about the suspension on those bikes. Uh, that's something that <laughs> I didn't even pick up on, but now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, they weren't bouncing around and they were riding down the sand or whatever. Um, but I love how, as they're riding and they're speeding through, uh, speeding through the scene, the, the sands flying up everywhere and it obstructs the viewer's view. So you can really put yourself in the bike rider's position, right? You, you don't know what's coming because you can't see. And then all of a sudden he skids and slides and he's like, oh, I almost ran off the cliff. You're crazy. It doesn't make sense at this point because you still don't 100% know and believe that they're vampires. But then when we get to the next set of scenes and they're, you know, the bridge scene, you're like, okay, they did that on purpose because they have no regard for life because it doesn't matter to them. I love that. That's a, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, it's the reason they ride with such reckless abandon. They, it doesn't matter to them. And so it's a great set of scenes uh, to follow up and just continue to build on this. And at this point, you're kind of feeling that the anxiousness build towards the climax because you have a feeling what's going on by now, but you, it still hasn't been confirmed. And the acting so good and the, the screenplay is so good that you're all in. Later on, we see the guys drive on their bikes to the train tracks. One by one, they jump through a hole in the tracks below to the ground. David says, come with us, Michael. He sees them hanging below on these like these bars. Michael crawls down, and the train you know, starts to go over them. They, they, the guys shake violently, struggling to hold on. They begin to let go for fun, and Michael is terrified. David says, you're one of us. Let go, Michael. Michael lets go, and now we see him. He falls, and we see him like crash onto his bed, and he's all dirty. Sam comes in his room and wakes him. He gives him the phone and asks for his sunglasses. It's 2 p.m. and their mom, Lucy, asks if he'll stay with Sam tonight so she can go out on a date tonight with Max. The boys ask Grandpa if he has a hot date tonight and he drives off on his little dune buggy. Sam says Michael has been giving, has been giving nothing but attitude and now the other guy's motorcycles, lights, and noises surround the house. He hears his name, Michael, chanted over and over. Sam says, don't open the door. But when he does, there's nothing out there. Sam asks what's going on, and he orders him to take his bath. Michael goes to drink milk, and he falls to the floor in pain. Sam is having way too much fun taking a bath, washing his hair, and Michael walks up the stairs. Sam Sam starts to, to bathtub karaoke, and the dog puts on a mean face. Michael opens the door, and the dog pounces on him. Sam notices the dog's gone now. Sam goes downstairs and calls for Michael. Michael has a huge bite wound on his hand, and Sam asks, what did you do to the dog? He, he says he was protecting you. Now Sam notices that Michael's reflection is like transparent. 
He's a creature of the night. My And then Sam says, my own brother is a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Wait until mom finds out, buddy. He locks him out of the room, and Sam calls the Frog Brothers about this discovery. Michael lays down, and Sam tells Edgar about his symptoms. Long fingernails, sleeps all day, and they offer to go kill him since he won't do it. They tell him to get a garlic t-shirt. Michael wakes up sleeping against the roof. He squirms and crawls until he descends down into the nightstand, but he's being forced back to the roof. Lucy calls, and she hears Michael screaming as he's being sucked outside the window. He grabs the phone and tells Mom he's lying. Lucy hears the commotion and takes off in her car back home. He begs Sam to help him, and Sam opens the window. Michael says we have to stick together and don't tell Mom. Mom runs inside and asks Sam if he's okay. And she's pissed off now. You got carried away by a comic book? What is this mess as she sees the spilled milk? The missing person on the milk is that kid Laddie that was with Star. Grandpa gets home, and Sam asks if he can sleep in Mom's room. She asks if he's been eating pizza because he smells just like garlic. Max calls for his dog outside, and a spooky, like, bat-looking kite falls on him. And we see the guy's motorcycle's light shining towards him. All right, Brian, go ahead to the next two scenes I got. Yeah, so, <clears throat> admittedly, like, Michael falling off the bridge, it has amazing visuals with them, like, hanging on, almost like like Nico brought up, Stand By Me-ish kind of vibes to it. Um, but But once he falls in the fog... It's cheesy. I mean, it's bad. Like, first off, he doesn't even look like he's against a green screen or anything or even like laying down. It's like they told him to lean back and hunch over and then like mid fall, he just kind of stops screaming. I mean, okay, that's fine. I mean, I can go with that. But but then he starts back up again. I don't know. It kind of just comes across as weird to me. Um, But come on, grandpa putting on Windex to smell good to get some from the widow Johnson. Goddamn. Look, I want to see a grandpa movie. That guy's fucking man debate someone else. Um, but come on. I mean, fuck you, Sam. That Michael's joke about bringing a stuffed Mr. Johnson over, that, that was funny. You can go, go take your ass to the, uh, to the fucking bath and sing, which, like I said, that's just weird pacing, too, because, like, you get this, like, putting him acting younger than he really is to the side. Like, you get this, like, tense ass motorcycle lights like everywhere blowing windows door or windows open like that whole scene to to michael like going through his transformation but then intertwined is the bathroom scene which i mean okay whenever michael comes back in you kind of get that tension back but i don't know like have have Haim go to have sam go to sleep or something not not singing in a bathtub like kevin McAllister or something i don't know and and sorry Haim. Rest in peace. But I, I thought he had some pretty bad dialogue delivery here when she, when he was asking about Nanook and, and the bite. Um, but but you do get kind of it turns right back around with some greatness with that great line that goddamn shit sucking vampire. I, I really I liked that that line a lot. Um, and right after though, when when Feldman hits him with the okay, stab him with a stick. You won't do it. I'll come do it for you. I mean, I watched the reality series, the Corys. Which I mean, kind of given what we know about his drug addiction, the Hollywood pedaring thing, it's more sad than anything. But this line like really reminded me of that series a lot because Feldman in real life was all the time like, "Okay, you won't do it, no problem. On my way to come do it." Um, so I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool, just knowing how that that relationship progresses in real life too. Um, also, Feldman's voice like it definitely took me some time to get used to it. 
you know, Mike kind of touched on it earlier, but the more I thought about it, the more it kind of sounded like his same voice he did when he kind of, when he voiced, he voiced Donatello three years later in the Ninja Turtles. But according to Screen Rant, Schumacher actually reportedly told Feldman to basically combine Chuck Norris and Sylvester Stallone. And so that's where he came up with that voice. Now I can, now I can definitely see that. Um, I thought the shot with Patrick waking up above the bed, his acting shines, you know, to be honest, he really is struggling. Like it, it just, it looks real, but Haynes acting was a little rough here to me. I mean, it, it almost took me out of the scene. Um, also Sam makes a flying nun reference, which went way over my head. No, no pun intended, but I, I admittedly like had to look that up. Um, it turns out it was a sixties Sally field show. So who knew? Not me. I think it's kind of a weird reference to put in an eighties movie targeted at young adults who would, wouldn't be old enough to really even get that. But, but I mean, hell who knew? And that's not the only, there's about three, uh, two other, I think sixties references in, in this, in this eighties movie, which is just way bizarre to me. But, uh, lastly, I'm going to say this is probably my least favorite set of scenes, but, uh, but it's about to hit on all cylinders. I think, you know, and I've been waiting all night for this, but, but here at the end, Richie Rich's dad, he looks mad about the Lost Boys showing up again at the house. Do you think that there's a uh, <clears throat> bad blood? Ah, oh, take it away, Michael. Oh dear, jeez, oh, you're such a dad. Okay, he's <laughs> <laughs> got kids. Uh, all right, so um, I'm with you, Brian. This is my least favorite set of scenes as well, and I think it's because, again, I kind of prefaced it earlier. Not a big vampire movie guy. And this is kind of where we start to get into a little bit of the 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 hokiness of it. However, I I don't know if I hundred percent disagree with you, but I don't mind this train track scene. Uh, I think it the tension is pretty well done. Um, it's shot well. The effects aren't great, but I think everyone kind of falling, quote unquote, is is interesting. Um, you know, him waking up in his bed. Kind of took me out of it a little bit, but it was, but I kind of got you know what, what they're doing there. He acts like he has a hangover, and maybe he does because you know technically he smoked a doobie and ate worms or whatever the heck he ate. Uh, but um, you know he has you know everyone's had that phone call where you're hungover and it's your mom. He had to answer that call. It's not great, um, but. Again, this is the inconsistency of the Sam character. Why does Sam need a babysitter? Sam's supposed to be a teenager. Uh, why does he need a, a, you know, his big brother to watch him? That's kind of uh, not believable to me. Uh, so this whole scene where where Michael is watching Sam kind of throws me off. And again, I mentioned it on top of the show. This is my least favorite scene in the entire movie. It's Corey Haim singing in a freaking bathtub. With his high pitched voice, and it, it just it stinks. It's not good. I don't know what the thinking is. I'm guessing it was in the original script when it was a little bit more family friendly. Uh, they just left it in, but I think it's really bad until we get to the dog. The dog, you know, that scene where Michael walks in and he's full, va- you know, full on vampire mode, and the dog is protecting Sam. I think that's really well shot, really well done, and you know. All of that is good. And, you know, he says his brother is a shit-sucking vampire. That's pretty funny. Uh, you know, there's some good grandpa stuff here, too. You kind of mentioned it, Brian. But this is my least favorite set of scenes because it, I caught myself not taking a ton of notes here. 
because I want, well, the, when I took the notes, I got lost in the story a little bit. So I kind of put the pen down or the, the phone down, but uh, not a whole lot more to say, except for this is kind of where the movie loses me a little bit. Uh, we get a little bit hokey, a little bit vampire-y. And again, that's just a preference. I'm sure if you love this movie, it's about to kick up a million times more. Uh, what I will say, you kind of touched on it, Brian. The character of Max does a great job subtly giving away clues that I didn't pick up on the first time I watched it. Uh, but, you know, him getting mad at the Lost Boys show, you, you know, like all of that stuff I think is 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 good writing. But uh, that's pretty much all I have. Yeah, um, this set of scenes, I, I like this set of scenes because we get the revelation. Um, but I, I get what you're saying there. So uh, it's easy, definitely easy to get caught up in the uh the storyline here and you know from our perspective it's easy to get caught up and just stop taking notes um so yeah i I understand that i love the bed scene you know michael uh waking up in the bed um well first of all before that we, we get the bridge scene and the the adrenaline junkies teenagers at this point still you can believe that they're vampires or you can, you know, still have doubts and questions about what's going on. The the bridge scene is still the same. You know, you get these thrill-seeking teenagers. It may not mean that they're immortal. The fact that they're hanging off the bridge and they let go. Maybe they just know what's beneath the fog. And so I thought that was a good job because they have that thick layer of saw of fog, fog. Excuse me. And Michael doesn't know what's below. They're saying that I'm one of you, but what does that even mean? Does that mean I'm going to have you know break both my ankles when I fall? What's going on here? So I, I like the the way that bridge scene was uh, shot. The bedroom scene, though, this is what I was getting at a minute ago. So when uh, Sam walks in and says, "Michael, wake up!" It's mom. Opens the blinds, hands him the phone. First thing he asks for is sunglasses, and he's he's talking with the you know, hello, like the you know. It's very believable to say he's just a teenager that's been out drinking all night. He's hungover um, because that's the things that hungover people do. You know, you want to sleep all day. It's 2 a.m. You still want to be in bed. You want to talk uh, in a muted voice because you don't, you know, your head is pounding. You want sunglasses because that bright sun's hurting your eyes. Uh, and But it also plays off the vampire trope, right? Uh, you know, vampires tend to be creatures of the night. They don't like the sun so the sunglasses make sense i like that um the the bathtub scene yeah this goes right back to what i was talking about earlier what brian and i were talking about how the inconsistencies inconsistencies with how sam is written uh how old is he actually is he seven is he 14 what's really going on here um the the dog saving him i do like i do like how uh you know the two dogs in the movie uh uh, Sam's, Sam's dog and then Max's dog, the white German Shepherd, uh, they seem to have this propensity for scoping out the, the vampires and they want to protect everyone from them, uh, which plays into the plot twist a little bit more. It, it makes it more of a ah moment uh, when you think about that. Uh, but the dog saving uh, Sam from Michael, I liked because my uh, Sam had no idea what was going on. I liked the way that was shot. The drama was there. You're you're like, oh god, is he going to kill his brother? What's going on? The dog saves him while he's underwater. He raises his head up. The door shut. Doesn't really know what's going on. Um, 
Yeah, the the line you said, you know, he's like, my own brother, and you wait till mom finds out, buddy. I love the delivery of that. That's hilarious <laughs> to me. That's one of my favorite quotes from this whole movie. Um, I also like uh, the drama there when he's calling his mom and she's at the restaurant. Imagine that. Imagine you're on a date, your first date in a long time with someone, and your son calls you because he's saying his brother's trying to kill him. You're like, oh, my God. And you just leave, and you rush out of the restaurant, and your date doesn't even know what's happening. And you get home and he says, oh, no, I was just I was freaked out by this comic book. That's hilarious to me. That's something that if they had made Sam, you know, kept him as a younger kid, that would made a lot of sense because I could see, you know, uh, I could see a seven, eight year old reading something and being spooked out to where he thinks it's real. Uh, Sam being 14, the mom should have just been like, what are you talking about? And smacked him upside his head. Uh, But going back to that. The fact that Sam is supposed to be like, you know, a preteen or a teenager or whatever. I don't, I like how, you know, what you said earlier about why does he need a, a babysitter? I don't think it's the babysitter thing. Like Lucy said, Sam's just always alone. He needs some interaction because uh, Michael sleeps all day and Lucy works all night. So he's just always alone. Uh, so I don't think it was a babysitter thing as it was. It was just a, a health thing. He needs to be around people. So I, I, I can I can get on board with that. Uh, a scene where Sam is asking Lucy, "Can I sleep in bed with you?" And then he goes and he opens his robe, and she's like, "Oh, you've been eating pizza. It smells like garlic." That for some reason cracks me up. It's just the look on Sam's face. He opens his robe, and then she says that, and he's got this "Oh crap!" look on his face like that. That's hilarious to me. Great uh, delivery there of the that setup. Um, then the last thing I have on the set of scenes. So the the scene at Max's house with the kites and the bikes revving and everything, like I get it, they're wanting to throw you off the scent. Uh, spoiler alert of the uh, the big twist of the movie, but it was really unnecessary to me. I mean, at this point, everyone's a suspect. They don't have to try to throw me off uh, anyone's loop. Or actually, I don't know that everyone's a suspect. Pretty much, no one's a suspect unless you're with. Kiefer Sutherland and Alex Winter and that crew, right? That's the way I feel. Uh, so th- you had no reason to make me to try to throw me off the scent of suspecting Max. I wasn't. I wasn't suspecting Max. Uh, now we get to the dinner scene a little bit later, and sure, they that's funny and that that does a good job. Uh, but the kite scene, the bikes revving and the and the lights, I didn't need it. I didn't need it. It didn't do anything for me. But overall, still, I'm still all in on this movie. Michael gets to the bluff and he calls for Star. Michael throws the wine bottle on the ground and he asks what's happening to me, Star. She says she can't tell him and they start to kiss passionately and make love. More score and aerial shots through clouds over the ocean. The vampires fly into the bluff and Michael awakes when he hears them arrive. Michael gets home and his mom asks, we're still friends, right? And he says, sure, and she wants to talk. She has him take off his glasses and look at her. He blows her off saying he's tired and staggers inside. Grandpa says, looks like I wasn't the only one who got lucky. Sam asks if he took care of everything. Lucy and Sam get to Max's house and she walks the bottle of wine to the front door. Sam reads a comic about the hounds of hell. She sees the dog and it chases her and she runs. She gets hung up on the fence as she falls over. The dog barks aggressively at her as she and Sam make it back into the car. The Frog Brothers say, to kill your brother, you'll feel better. 
Sam says if you kill the head vampire, all the half vampires go back to normal. He said it all started once his mom started working with Max, and he thinks that Max is the head vampire. Grandpa doesn't want any company tonight, and Mom wants Michael to meet Max. Michael goes to leave and sees Max at the door. They have an awkward, tense first encounter, and Michael splits immediately. Max gives Lucy some flowers and apologizes for what the dog did. Sam introduces Lucy to the Frog Brothers, his dinner guest. At dinner now, and Sam offers Max some Parmesan cheese, which is all straight garlic. He chokes on it somewhat, and Lucy asks how that happened. Then Sam spills water on his crotch and asks, does it burn? They turn the lights off, and he's not glowing, and they flash the mirror in front of him, but he has a reflection. Max says he's not trying to steal his mom from her. He just wants to be her friend. Max and Lucy reschedule dinner, but at his place tomorrow night. Michael grabs David by the collar and asks, where's Star? You better come with us now if you ever want to see her again. They hide up in a tree and watch on some kids dancing around a bonfire. David reveals his true self to Michael with glaring eyes and giant fangs, and so do the other guys. They take off and capture some of the people by the bonfire. They begin to feast and call for Michael, whose eyes start to change. Michael falls out the tree and onto the sand. The other vampires walk back, and David says, Now you now you know what you are and what what we are. And then, this is my favorite quote, which I'm sure it's everybody else. It might be everybody else's. You never grow old or die, but you must feed. And then they all start to laugh. All right, Brian, go ahead. That's the next two scenes I got. Yeah, um, I absolutely love the start of this group of scenes where, where you get Michael and Star and this whole like super 80s sex scene, if you want to call it that. But um, And then you get that first person again, you know, as the vampires are flying into the cave. I love the cinematography on that. Uh, big props to Michael Chapman, who's a cinematographer on this film. Um, he actually also did The Fugitive and Ghostbusters 2, just FYI. Um, I do hate it, though, that it's pretty much implied. Well, not implied, it's said. But Star, you know, is half vampire. I wish we would have seen her go vampire, you know, like like we do most everybody else. I don't mean like full vampire. I mean go into vampire mode, you know, get the get the ridges, get the teeth. Like, I would have liked to have seen that from her. That's that's. I hate that she didn't get to do that. Um, grandpa's line when, when Michael walks in, looks like I was the only one who got in lucky last night. What did we do to deserve this gold? Um, the how hellhound though, part though, it, it took me out because like you get this ferocious barking, like soundtrack noise, but the dog doesn't even look mad. I mean, there's no snarl, no anything. It was almost like they had a piece of food off off camera or something. The dog's just trying to get to the fence to get to it. Like it didn't even look mad. Or I, I, I thought they could have done a better job with that. And uh, I believe it's in this group of scenes. I may be wrong on this, but but Lucy actually tells Max or actually calls Max by his real name, Ed, by accident. And they, they, I barely even noticeable, which is why I'm sure they didn't catch it, but they left it in. Um, so, so we're in agreement that this is a prequel to Richie Rich, right? You know, like before he meets Regina Rich, <laughs> uh, but all seriousness, I really do like Max a lot in this film. Like, you know, in a movie where you're trying to take the old vampire tropes, like the lore, the mythology, the garlic, the, the everything. And yet like you're trying to revitalize it, redefine like what the genre is. And, and I love how though they still keep that stuff. Like, you know, it, they they do put a young sexy new spin on it, but but they still keep that almost Dracula esque like head vampire as as Max spoiler, but uh you know he's he's very much a lo- much 
Max is very much more like along those Dracula lines than than what you can tell, obviously, that they're going with with Sutherland and the boys. And I really, I really do like that a lot. Um, lastly, you know, for all the corniness of Sam, that you know, that that it it does honestly lighten up the movie. This bonfire scene is dark as fuck. Like it's amazing. I mean, shit, you get to see David biting some fucking dude in the head and peeling his skull back. I mean, I think it's a fucking great scene. My only critique is when David says, "You never grow old or die, but you must feed." Don't have the rest of them laugh after that. Like to me, it's more sinister when they don't. And and to me, like that that ne- that scene, like you needed to stay in that moment. Like it's just it was a little bit too much laughing now to bring it up all throughout the movie from the lost boys like it doesn't to me i think they were trying to make them more unhinged and wild and just crazy in scenes but but in scenes like this like i didn't need that i don't need that laughing um and but you know the third act's about to be kicked up and, and i love i love the third act go ahead mike yeah I, I like the set of scenes i would be i would be mad if i was lucy too uh, <laughs> you know you kind of ruin a date and it's over a comic book, I'd be pretty pissed off. Uh, (laughs) You know, and I agree with you, Brian. I'm very glad you said that. Star being half vampire, I really would have liked to have seen some development there instead of us just finding out. Like, I feel like there's a really good scene there if done properly. And, and, you know, that was kind of disappointing. I have that in my notes as well. I wish we could have kind of had like a discovery on that. Um, <laughs> again, grandpa, best character in the movie, not the only one that got lucky, hilarious, uh, great stuff. So here's the thing with the, you know, the hounds of hell, you know, the, the rapid dog. <laughs> First of all, no way Lucy is outrunning that dog. I'm sorry. That dog would have ate her ass to pieces. Uh, and, uh, but again, it's kind of hokey to me. Maybe it's the way it was shot. I'm not really sure, but I, it was like quick cuts a little bit back and forth. And the dog, you know, you kind of talked about it, Brian, didn't look very rapid. Didn't look very mean and angry. It just kind of looked like he was hungry. (laughs) And so again, I agree with you uh, on that. So we get to the dinner scene, which I think is really well done. It's well shot. The dialogue is really good. Um, I would be very upset if I went to put Parmesan on anything and it's a bunch of garlic. I would be very upset. Uh, now garlic and parm together, elite wing flavor. I don't care what Dustin says. Oh, it's good. Uh, it's just not lemon pepper. Go ahead. Oh, maybe it was Nico that didn't like it. Yeah. Hey, screw you, Nico. It's a great wing flavor. Um, garlic, garlic Parmesan is terrible. (laughs) Yeah, like your movie takes. Anyway, uh, but I would throw I would throw hands Damn. over the garlic parm, th- or, or you know, over the garlic parm mishap. Just saying, I'm just kidding, brother. I love you. Uh, but I <laughs> all good. I love that they flipped the garlic trope too, where the garlic didn't work on Max, and that is a good kind of like throw it off the track there, where you're kind of convinced that it. You know, you start to get to the point where Max looks a little guilty, but then the garlic doesn't work, and it 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 makes it. You know, the first time I ever watched it, I kind of said, "Okay, it's obviously not him. It's got to be Kiefer Sutherland," and we were wrong. And I think they do a really good job with that. Uh, also, side note: if I had these uninvited dinner guests, these goons, the Frog Brothers, my mom would be very ticked off. 
my mom would have kicked him out of the house instead of having more or ha having enough for everyone, as Lucy said. Absolutely not. Sherry Settle would have thrown them out of the house so fast. Uh, <laughs> that's just the truth. Uh, Brian, you mentioned the bonfire scene. It's fantastic. I think it's probably just as one scene, my favorite scene in the film. Uh, it's cool. It's lit really well. It's shot well. Has an iconic line in it, and I do agree with you about the laughing thing, but I'm willing to forgive it just because Keeper Sutherland delivers it so well. Uh, that was just a, it's just a nitpick on right, my end. Right, I'm not right. saying it was something bad. It was just a little nitpicky to me. Absolutely. And you have you, you know you never grow old or die, but you must feed. That's kind of my life motto, man. You know you got to eat. You know you got to wake up every morning and get this bread. You know, so that's kind of how I view it. Uh, go ahead, Dustin. All right. Yeah. Um, First of all, you know, when we get the scene where he goes to Star and he says, what's happening? You know, he's trying to figure out what's going on. I love how her solution is, hey, don't focus on that. Let's just fornicate. Like, what are you, do what are you doing here? He's trying to find out what's happening with his <laughs> life, why he tried to eat his brother. And your solution to that is, uh, anyway, whatever. Uh I do feel like as a vampire, you'd probably be able to feel or you'd probably be able to scope out who else is a vampire, right? Like, uh, they may not look as appetizing, if nothing else. And so uh, the scene, you know, once you've seen the whole movie, the scene where uh, he passes Max in the in the house as he's on his way out before dinner, to me, if... Uh, you know, Max is going to turn out to be the the head honcho. Michael should have been like, whoa, there's something off about this guy. And he should have been able to alert his family. But that's OK. That's just uh, I don't mind it because at this point, the movie's still trying to throw you off the track of what's really going on. So I can forgive it. Um, you know, uh, the dinner scene, man, I love the dinner scene. I love that the like the the Frog Brothers showing up and like you said, Mike. I don't know how happy my mother would have been uh, for these particular dinner guests, but they're great. Um, she probably would have asked me what Sam asked Michael earlier: uh, "Are you freebasing?" Because if you think these people are sitting down at my table, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I love how they have the nonverbal cues to each other, and he just gives a nod. And the other one knows what to do, what trick to try next to try to figure out if he's a vampire or not. And like you said, I love the fact that they throw you off the trail of Max. See, this is where we didn't need that kite scene earlier because of this scene. This scene does everything you needed to do if you're wanting people to think Max is definitely not a vampire. Because they tried the they tried the water, they tried the garlic, they tried the mirror. Um None of it worked. And so I thought this was a great set. This is a great scene uh, as far as confusing the viewer as to, to what the underlying issue is. Um, and then, yeah, the bonfire. The bonfire to me is the first scene that we get the, the true elements of horror. Um, up until this movie or up until this point, we've got just a good 80s teen movie. You know, it's got some comedy. It's got some love, some romance. It's got some uh, some drama. But it's not really horror until the bonfire scene. You mentioned uh, David just biting into the side of dude's head. Spoiler alert. That's my favorite kill because that is brutal and I didn't see it coming. Um, and it just it, it's it's an awesome way to uh, to kill someone in a vampire movie. We 
too oftentimes we see vampires biting the neck, right? They always want to go for the neck or go for uh, somewhere else. This dude just bit into the side of his skull. So I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the I, I completely agree again. I had it in my notes. I don't think that we needed Alex Winter and the other vampires laughing. I always say Alex Winter's name because, dude, it's Alex Winter, man. Bill and Ted. Uh, and I don't know the other guys names, but the other vampires, we didn't need them laughing in this scene. That's a very serious thing that he just laid upon Michael. You have to eat or you will die. Um, and the, the laugh kind of softens that it kind of takes away from the severity of that statement, but it's a, it's a great set of scenes. And by this point, you're like, all right, man, this, this climax is going to be awesome. Let's get to it. All right, before we move on, I got to ask a question because I, I really don't know the rules of v- vampires and their legend, but uh, I like the uh, scene with the Frog Brothers and Sam trying to reveal or trying to test Max, but is, is that really a rule that if you invite them into your house, their powers are negated or their weakness is negated? Well, that's it, this is the first movie that I've seen that rule in. Because I kind of like, didn't, to, I kind of didn't other like one, that at all. Well, the other ones they can't even come in the house at all unless they're invited. So, which I kind of bring up in this later on, but we'll get to that whenever they they kind of raid the house. I was like, how the fuck did they get in if they weren't invited? But but maybe that's maybe you bringing that up. Maybe that's not the whole truth. Maybe they can still come in. You just their powers are aren't negated unless they're invited. So I don't know. That's something that's yeah. And I agree with you there. Uh, I'd always you know had the same mindset. I'd never heard that the powers are negated if you invite them in the home. But I was definitely familiar with the uh, they can't enter unless they're invited. I really appreciate the fact that this movie just you know it plays up on some tropes, but then it kind of rewrites the storybook uh, or the the rule book uh, in other areas. So you know. It is what it is. I like that Shoemaker didn't just say all vampires are the same. And here's this set of set of rules that we have to abide by. So that's how I viewed it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did too. I like it. I like it. It kind of did something. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a, it's not like a deal breaker or anything, but it's like, so just because they invited him to dinner, he's, he doesn't have his weaknesses anymore. I just know that's just something I've never heard of. Honestly, it, it bothers me a little bit, but it's nothing that's going to like kill the movie or nothing. Uh, back home, Sam wakes up and is scared by a stuffed owl in his room. That's right by his bed. For some reason, Sam asks Michael to not kill him and ask who is the head vampire star flies into the room and they chat about what happened tonight. Star says, you're not like David. You're like me and Laddie. Then Sam says, you're like that until your first kill. Michael asks, what do you want? She says, it's, it's not too late for you. And she says she wants his help for her and Laddie. She flies out the room and Sam says, don't kill any, don't kill anyone until we get back to you. Sam calls the Frog Brothers. They show up and the four load up in Grandpa's car and leave without his permission. They get to the bluff and Michael says, this isn't a comic book. They're real killers. Edgar says, he'll stake, he'll stake you without any thought if you try and vamp out. They descend into the bluff and Michael stops them from hurting Star. Michael says he's taking her out of here. Sam and the Frog Bros go deeper into the bluff. Michael carries out Laddie and comes back for Star. The three boys get to a dead end and find the vampires hanging from the ceiling. They don't know who the leader is, so they start with the little one. Edgar stabs a stake deep into Marco's heart to Sam's please not to. and That, that pissed me off, Sam not wanting to kill him. Like, why the hell are you here? The other vampires awake as Marco cries out. <laughs> You're dead meat, David yells at them and chases them. 
He grabs Sam by the foot, but they drag his arm into the sunlight, lighting it on fire. David says tonight as they run off. The boys make it to the car, but the Frog Brothers say they don't ride with vampires, but they make an exception this time. Sam almost backs him off the cliff in the car. Back home, Michael carries Laddie and Star back inside. Grandpa nags them about not putting more fuel in the car after using it. The Frog Brothers say they have two and a half hours to think of a plan. Sam goes to Lucy's job and tells him about what's happening tonight, and she blows him off over and over. And then he yells out, to hell with Max, and she sends him away. She's, she's really pissed off again. They ride off on their bikes and get to a church and steal some holy water in the middle of this baby dedication. Sam tells Grandpa that Widow Johnson called and not to be late. Grandpa heads out, and the boys start shutting all the doors and windows and setting up traps and weapons. They make garlic, water, bathtubs, and water guns. Star wakes up Laddie, and the sun begins to set. The vampires wake up and fall from their resting place and fly towards Michael and Sam's house. All right, Brian, go ahead. And the next two scenes are the ending. Um, again, you know, I, I hate that right at the start of these scenes, like with the discussion between Star and Mike, that you have like Sam hiding under the covers. Like it's it's such a good scene between the two of them. Like I did not need him interjecting that kid stuff and interjecting his stuff into that conversation. Like I really would have just liked to seen the two of them, you know, have their moment. Um, also, I, I wish that I would have cared a little bit more for Laddie. I mean, besides besides the missing poster on the side of the milk carton, we really don't spend any time with the kid enough to really care about him being drugged to safety, you know, first before uh, uh, Jamie Gertz's character or not. You know, it's just I don't know. I, w- I would have liked to have seen that explored a little bit more. Um, also, I thought it was a a pretty awesome visual with the, the lost boys, you know, hanging from the top of the cave. Um, but these frog brothers, I mean, they, they get way better as the movies progress in my opinion. Um, but you know, again, in their defense, I guess they are basically just kind of kids here, but number one, I mean, you gotta be strong as hell to stab a stake through a person's body. Um, you know, I think it should have given him more like, something to shoot it through him or, or something, you know, I'm talking about Feldman stabbing Bill S. Preston Esquire. Like, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't even remember. I don't know. It's just, like I said, it's just, it was like he had super strength right there. And I just, I didn't buy that. It took me out of it. Um, also, apparently when David's hand gets burned by the sun, you know, and, and the tear rolls down his cheek, that actually wasn't part of the original script there. Um, the tear running down his face was actually caused by Kiefer Sutherland's contact lenses, which were apparently like, you know, stinging really terribly, but they decided to keep it in because it looked, it looked really good and was in context with what was going on. Um, lastly, you know, the rest of this group of scenes is almost goonyish a little bit with them busting in that church and, and, you know, the lightheartedness, but I like how when the sun starts going down, you know, by the way, some some great cinema, cinema cinematic shots there. And by the way, and, and you know the the whole tone like shifts back to like our darker movie, um, you know. But but this this shot of them of the vampires like leaving the cave is dumb. I mean, because if you're looking through their eyes, they'd be going backwards, and it's very obviously just the same shot of uh, as earlier in the film. They just reversed this footage. I mean, it's just. That was cheap Schumacher. That was Batman and Robin stuff. Come on. But uh, 
but we do get some new shots as they kind of close in on David and Michael's house. And I thought they looked really, really good there. Um, you know, in shots like this, you know, I, I've said before, but you're going to really appreciate them because they didn't have drones back then. You know, nowadays you can get this shot with a easy $50 drone, but back then, you know, they had to rent helicopters. It's just, to me, it's just very impressive when you have, when you have shots like that. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So in our, in our group text earlier today, this is kind of the scenes where the, the GIF or GIF, depending on what you pronounce it as, I sent to you guys. This is kind of the set of scenes that kicks that off for me. Um, this set of scenes loses me a little bit. And again, it, it, it is my own fault. It is not <laughs> Joel Schumacher. It's not the acting. It's not, the, it's not anyone else's fault but my own for just not buying into vampires as a, as a villain, as a whatever. And so some of this gets a little hokey. There's a, you know, there's some touching stuff with Sam and Michael. And I will say this, I, you know, you touched on the Frog Brothers, Brian. They frustrate the heck out of me in this set of scenes because they're supposed to be this killer team and they're so inept. Uh, but there's some cool stuff here. Uh, I love the way this set of scenes is shot. Uh, I think, you know, for being a movie in 1987, a lot of this stuff holds up. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland looks cool as heck here. Uh, really, really cool. Stuff. Very, that's right. right. Very good point. He does. Right. Very- and, and even, you know, <laughs> kudos to him if those contacts stung like that, because it looks so dang awesome. And the way they kind of shoot that where the c- c- camera lingers on them a little bit. I really like it. He touched on the shots, how they got those uh, in 87. Really, you know, kind of something that I didn't think about until you said it. Uh, really cool. However, and I want, to, I want to make this clear. It's my own fault, but I lose – the plot loses me a little bit. And I don't know if it's the next set of scenes that kind of drags it down a little bit more because I feel like the the, the big reveal, we're all vampires – you know, who the head vampire, like all that kind of is, it happens really quick, really fast. And I don't feel like there was enough like time to let it breathe. And again, this movie's only an hour and 38 minutes or so. And so maybe even less, but you, so it's a pretty quick movie. Our episode is going to go longer than the movie. Uh, and because there's a lot to talk about, but this set of scenes is where this kind of loses me. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the little kid who, oh, Laddie, I agree with you. I had that earlier in my notes and I just didn't say it. I want to care more about this kid, but I don't. They don't do any kind of character establishment really uh, with him. And it's a shame because I do think that would kind of maybe make it a little, it would humanize it just a little bit more. And so I, you know, in this set of scenes that kind of hit home for me where it's like, hey, I want to be more emotionally attached, but I'm not. And so, um, Again, nothing against the cast, the acting, the directing, all that I really still think is great. But as far as my enjoyment level, it starts to kind of teeter off here where it goes from a pretty fun 80s movie to just a genre of movie that I'm not a big fan of. And so I think that's, again, my own – that's my own fault. That's my own doing. Yeah, so uh, the – this set of scenes, you know, when the, when the kids are at the house and they leave in Grandpa's car, 
that's hilarious to me. Uh, how they're just like, hey, can we borrow the car? Okay, thanks. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, I, I like that. And I like when they return to the house and he just doesn't get on to him about anything other than you didn't fill my tank back up. Fantastic. Uh, you know, it's such a grandpa. Yes. Fantastic such a grandpa line. move. I really respect <laughs> that. Um, I love how the Frog Brothers, you know, they're professionals, right? They're ready for that action. They get into the cave and they're going to kill them all. But you could tell they're still so green at this. And I respect that. It's like, you know, they know what they're doing, but you could tell they don't get a lot of action because they were prepared, but their game plan wasn't really uh, perfectly executed. I respect that. I like that. Uh, the way the the way that that scene was written. Uh, I agree. I have it in my notes. We needed more Laddie. We needed more Laddie in the, the rest of the film. We needed to know why that kid was even there. Apparently, it was, uh, you know, they wanted to give Star a companion. It, Laddie was not a relative of Star's or anything. They just wanted Star to have a companion. And I don't feel like that was expanded enough upon. Uh, we didn't get enough uh, backstory or enough uh, screen time for Laddie for me to care about that little kid. The only reason I care about the little kid is because Star said, don't kill him. So I'm like, okay, don't kill the kid. Star said no. So it's it's gospel now. She's a goddess. Um, Sam going to the store and just completely having a meltdown and freaking out, telling his mom, vampire, blah, blah, blah. Sam looks nuts here. I mean, this is another scene that I feel like uh, it was written with a younger Sam in mind. Um, because that's something you could definitely see a seven, eight-year-old kid doing, running a store where his mom works and freaking out, throwing a tantrum because, hey, there's vampires are trying to kill us. Um, teenage Sam should have been able to uh, compose himself a little bit more and tell his mother in a more uh, reasonable fashion because freaking out like that is something a little kid was could do and little kids don't get taken seriously. So I had a problem with the, the way that that was um, shot. Uh, you know, I do like when the kids are back at the house and they're trying to get rid of grandpa. So he's not caught up in the fracas. They tell him, Hey, you know, the old widow, she's uh she's ate some oysters. She's got her aphrodisiac. She, she needs some loving. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that. You know, he's like, Oh, she called. Well, yeah, I guess I got a date. Um, because that's exactly how I would be as a grandfather. You tell me that there's a, you know, you tell me, Oh, ain't B up the streets trying to get some loving. Then I'm out the door. Um, uh. <laughs> I love how, uh, this set of scenes, this set of scenes, very Goonie-ish. I like that you guys said that, uh, you know, they went full on Kevin McAllister in this house, you know, the bathtub full of garlic water, yeah. the, uh, the booby traps and just getting ready. We've got a set amount of time. We've got two and a half hours to get ready because it's coming. Um, it's very home alone style in the way they're, they're prepping there. Um, yeah, overall, I don't have a lot more on this set of scenes. Just, uh, I'm ready for the climax here to see which direction they're going to take this. Um, you did mention the contact thing with Keith or Keeper Sutherland. I really love that they left that in there. Uh, the teardrop falling down his cheek because like you said, it's in context. Um, you know, the, uh, he just got burned. He just lost a homie. Um, his girl just ran out with the new kid on the block. There's a lot of things brewing in David's mind that can make him shed a tear, uh, physical pain, emotional pain. And so that tear made a lot of sense. I love that they left that in. Go ahead. All right, then this is the ending. But one thing I want to say is I thought the uh, 
the way like the vampires dropped and took off to go to the house, I thought that was a really cool look. Uh, at Max's house, they have dinner, and Lucy tells Max about what all Sam said about the vampires. Edgar tells them when a vampire dies, it isn't a pretty sight. Sam runs outside when he hears Nanook barking outside. Michael runs out to help, but the vampires are coming. They run back, and Sam falls over. They make it back inside just in time. A vampire flies inside from the chimney. Edgar chases after Laddie and Star, but another vampire attacks the Frog Brothers. They splash holy garlic water on his face, and then Nook tackles him into the tub. He screams in agony. He emerges with a burned face and falls back in the tub dead. The sinks and plumbing spew blood throughout the house. Sam gets up and calls for Mike in the dark room. He shines the lamp and the vampire grabs Sam by the face and flies him to the ceiling. He shoots him with garlic water and falls to the ground. He shoots him with an arrow, but he misses. Then he shoots him directly in the heart this time, and the stereo he crashes into begins to spark and play music. Michael and Sam go to run upstairs, but David knocks Michael to the ground. The Frog Brothers say they killed a vampire, and Laddie emerges from the waterbed ready to attack. They go to attack him, but Star stops them. Michael and David fight now downstairs. I tried to make you immortal, David says. Michael becomes his vampire self and they fight. David tries to fly Michael into deer antlers and ask him to join us. My blood's in your veins. He overpowers David and slants him on antlers through his heart. A white light emerges from David, but Michael is still a vampire. He tells Sam to get away. David isn't the head vampire. Max and Lucy get to the house. They come inside and see the carnage. Max walks to David's dead body and embraces him. Max apologized to Lucy. It's all my fault. They're his boys. Max wanted to make Lucy their mother. They're confused because he passed the test. He was invited into the house, rendering their attacks useless. He wanted to make them one big happy family. Max and Michael fight each other. Max throws them all to the floor, and he reaches out for Lucy's hand as he squeezes Sam's head. Max goes to bite Lucy's neck, but Grandpa drives the truck through the, the house and the wall, and the wooden stakes penetrate his heart. He flies into the fireplace dying. The house shakes and they all call from the smoke. Michael and Star hug as regular people again and Laddie runs downstairs normal. Lucy hugs her boys and Grandpa grabs a beer from the fridge. One thing about Santa Carla I couldn't stomach was all the damn vampires. In, in credits roll to a groovy song. Alright, go ahead Brian, that's the ending. So that line about how every vampire bites it different, but all will take you with with you, like or with it with it. Um, but that that line actually comes back uh, in a really cool scene in the next movie. So um, I don't know. That's just a little fun fact. But uh, first of all, oh, this is where I wrote about the uh, I didn't understand how you know they they just busted in the house without getting invited. Um, but I think Nico asking that question may have may have just answered that one for me but uh i will say great effects on the bathtub kill um until it showed the skeleton i thought that looked kind of bad but um although the the whole setup was was super goonies again i know we said that two or three times but that was super goonies that uh the uh the blood spewing up everywhere definitely gave me elm street vibes and and was was a great visual i think um you know a lot of this movie actually has been ripped off for sure buffy buffy the vampire slayer for one but uh, another scene uh, that that was ripped off uh, apparently was the the holy water scene here was almost exactly ripped off by uh, Tales from the Crypt Bordello of Blood, which 
is terrible, in my opinion, by the way. Um, Dustin was was almost prophetically talking. I think was it was it the Leprechaun episode where you said we needed more uh, bow and arrow kills? Right? Well, bye. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was it Valentine? Yeah, it was. It was Valentine. We by got God. It. By God, we got one here. Um, but uh, but the death by stereo line that that it that that was done with Sam. Like we needed a frog brother to be given that line. Like that that goes with them to me, in my opinion. Um, also, I want to point out the scene where the where the frog brothers and Sam they're basically like talking about how badass they are together, you know, and just. It, that scene is almost out of out of place here, but it, it, it really doesn't mean anything. Absolutely, pretty much nothing in this movie. But in part three, that scene comes back and really hits you in the feels. So to me, like the payoff for that little scene right there is is in is in two movies. Um, also, this is where I was talking about earlier with the uh, attack of Eddie Munster line and like the the dumbass like blood sucking Brady Bunch line. Obviously written by the same person whoever put the nun reference in earlier. So more 60s references for some really bizarre reason in a late 80s movie. I don't still I don't get that. Um, Michael almost reminds me of one of my favorite movies, Blade, in this scene, like because he's, you know, he's part vampire. He's fighting David. Um, OK, I will say that that fight to me was a little blah. You know, it started off so well, especially like it kicked off with. Cry little sister cranking up and, you know, Michael licking that blood off his face. Oh, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. But it went like so damn quick. Um, plus, I don't know. I think we'll get into it with with some of the fan questions maybe. But um, David didn't explode or even die because he actually was supposed to live. And I think actually despite what Max later or Max kind of later says, he's not really dead. So like fun fact, like this was intended to be picked up in the sequel the lost girls which uh which was scripted but it was never made and uh whenever they decided 20 20 something years later it was 2008 i think when they made the sequel finally to this the the thirst um they did a comics like mini series which kind of like helped bridge the gap between the films and it's implied that david not only survived this this impaling here but actually went on to create shane who's the head vampire in lost boys the tribe um which actually is is a play by Kiefer Sutherland's half brother in real life Angus but um we'll get to that because I'm definitely picking that movie but uh lastly I love the reveal of Max um I really could have gotten a better fight between Michael and Max I, I would I will say that too but I was pretty awful but but uh by god grandpa you're the freaking man and uh I'll leave my comments kind of on that ending for the fan question that I do know we do have coming up so all right go ahead Mike yeah, so I kind of mentioned it in my previous set of scenes where I just think the ending kind of comes and goes really quick. And again, I'm not like super into this vampire thing, but I want to see some stuff pay it off. And, you you know, you touch on it, Brian, you get the fight scene between David and and Michael and it it falls flat for me. The quote unquote death of David, even though it's not really obviously because, you, you know, of what you said, I would have liked to see something I don't know, bigger, better, like, I don't know. It, uh, it came really quick. And I, I felt like as you know, how important that character was, it would have been, I would have liked to seen it done a little bit better. So here are my, some of my, my, my really only issues with the movie is this last two sets of scenes where I feel like everything comes and go. What the main focal point of the movie is comes and goes really fast. Um, 
you know, Max being the head vampire, I think is a really cool thing. Like I like that idea. I like that premise, but it, and it's played pretty straight. So I, I like that. I like the acting there. I just kind of feel like it's very, it's rushed. They didn't set it up quite well enough for me to believe in Nico. You touched on it and it is a big nitpick of mine where because he was invited into the home, those powers don't work. That's kind of a cheap way out to me. It's fine. It's not the end of the world, but I don't, I don't particularly care for it. Uh, you know, you mentioned again, the, the clash between Max and Michael could have been done a lot better as well. And I, it, you know, this kind of, this set of scenes, I feel like would have been a, could have had the character of Sam come full circle. There's just a lot here where obviously, you know, you touched on grandpa star of the show. <laughs> he just kind of, kind of pulls me back into this movie a little bit, you know, with his line at the end where, you know, too many damn vampires or whatever he says, love that. It's fantastic. Um, but this is, this is my problem with vampire movies. Is it just gets into the hokiness a little bit. I hate to keep using that word. It's very uh, pro wrestling. I'm sure that, that Dustin knows that's definitely where I got it from, but this kind of ha- kind of plays into that a little bit where I'm, I'm just not buying it, but there's some good stuff here. And I'm kind of excited to see the sequels now because, you know, you mentioned some of this stuff gets carried on and I'm interested. Maybe it answers some of the problems, the issues that I do have. Uh, I, again, a little anticlimactic for me. And I feel like that's a little bit of a letdown for what I thought up until the last two sets of scenes is a pretty well, built movie but it just doesn't it doesn't hold up for me in these last two sets of scenes um i can definitely understand that and see where you're coming from uh with it with this set of scenes you know i love how i love the explanation of no two die the same because that sets up to where we get some different creative deaths uh and different dynamics with what happens once they're killed uh i respect that one thing that is confusing though is what's up with the blood in the sink Brian, you said it gives off, you know, nightmarish vibes. Uh, you could also say it uh, definitely gives off some it vibes with uh, yeah, blood spewing from the definitely. sinks. But what? Why? Why did that happen? Like that—that that was unnecessary. It to me is just like, oh, we haven't had enough blood in this movie, and we want to add the horror tag to it. So let's throw some blood in here. Let's make it come from the sinks. Unnecessary. Um, you you know, honestly though, in this set of scenes. I got to be kind of sympathetic towards David. What has he really done wrong? Michael was trying to steal his girl. And instead of get mad and kill him like a vampire can do, he welcomed him in. He brought him into his crew. He gave him a set of friends as the new kid in town, which is what you want in that situation. He tried to make him immortal, which... If you're David, you don't necessarily see the bad side in that. You you have fun every day. So at this point, you, you kind of feel for David. He hasn't really done anything wrong. And then, you know, here's Michael being ungrateful, uh, getting his brother in this vampire slaying gang just to kill all your homies. Like, there's there's it's unnecessary. There's no reason for it. Uh, but anyway, neither here nor there. I love how Michael, you know, in this set of scenes after – uh, Lucy gets home and Michael's telling Star, don't let them see me like this. I like that. That brings some, that brings some humanity to the character. 
Um, you can respect a brother, a son, not to want his family, his loved ones to see him look like this, uh, you know, kind of be ashamed and, and not want them to have that image, not want that your image to be tarnished in their minds. I respect that. I, I really like that little touch. It was a five second scene that they could have cut out. And I liked that they left it in because that was, uh, that was good. Uh, as far as relatability to the character. Um, I do hate Lucy in this set of scenes, how she sees what's going on. She's still kind of playing ignorant to the whole thing. They're telling her, Hey, it's Max. And she's like, what? No. And Max is even like, no, yeah, really? It's me. Uh, and then when he's telling her, I wanted you to be the mother figure, blah, blah, blah give in to me and she just walks straight over to him and offers her neck up for his taking um lucy annoyed me in that set of scenes but i get it she's uh the same way that michael was hungry for acceptance lucy's kind of hungry for companionship so maybe that she wanted to believe only the best things in her knight in shining armor max um but it is what it is but the 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 cherry the proverbial cherry on top of this beautiful pie is grandpa's final lines. Uh, man, yes. him just casually strolling in after presumably handling his business at the old widow's house. And just, you know, you got to get this uh, uneasy feeling of, oh, his house has just been destroyed. There's dead vampires everywhere. Grandpa's probably going to flip out. He's like, ah, yeah, I just could never get used to that. I love his delivery and his demeanor and that, uh, and just solidifies Brian's point of grandpa being the best character in this whole film. And, uh, it's a satisfying ending. I do feel like the ending was rushed. I do feel like it was kind of anticlimactic how easily Max went out, how easily David went out, how easily, you know, they all died. Um, because here we are, like, like Mike said, this is a relatively short movie. I would have been okay. This is one of those movies where I would have been okay with us extending it a little. Give me 20 more minutes. That's fine. Um, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I respect the fact that they didn't do that because had they done that, I'm sure I would have been sitting on this episode saying, ah, they probably could have cut this. They could have cut that. It's too long. Uh, so, you know, respect for the self-awareness, but I, I did want a little bit more. Still a very solid ending to a very enjoyable movie. Well, they could have kept the same length, in my opinion, but just cut it, cut some of the other stuff out. Like, I thought the whole dog chasing scene was really unnecessary. Um, they they could have trimmed some stuff and added more to the ending. I agree with that. Uh, we got some fan questions from Facebook and Instagram. The first one is from Shan. She has two questions, and I'm going to have to let uh, you guys answer because I haven't seen the rest of the sequels. Do you like the ending they used? Or what was the original plan for how the movie would end? And the second one, she asked, what are your guys' opinions on the sequels? Dustin, you want to go first? On yeah, that, sure. Uh, you know, Shoemaker didn't apparently want the uh, original. The original cut didn't end on a joke like that. Um, I Spoiler, I like the way that they left it, though. Like I just said, that's the cherry on top. This is a horror comedy. Um, and... Uh, it, it ended the right way. I, I, I was fine with everything. Like, the only critique is that it just wasn't long enough. As for the sequels, um, I do like The Tribe. Brian and I have talked about that. Uh, I enjoy it as well. I'm looking forward to him picking it. I like it. I have not seen The Thirst, the Thirst, which is the third film, which is 
it even blows my mind that I haven't seen it, given how much I like this movie. And spoiler for the for that episode, I like the tribe as well. Um, so I like both of those. I haven't seen the thirst. However, um, I do have I do now own it on Blu-ray. So I will be getting to the uh, the thirst probably by the end of the weekend. OK, um, I'll go next. So. You know, I'm I'm kind of with, or I'm definitely with Dustin. You know, I'm I love this ending. Now, I mean, this kind of goes into like, do you consider post credit scenes the real ending of a movie, or do you consider like before the credits come on the ending? You know, because hey, I mean, Marvel movies. I mean, you know, do it all the time. You can't. It's almost like that's the ending for Marvel movies. But you know, with with this one, the originally planned thing came after the credits, so. Was that even, you know, does that even really count as something that, I mean, it would have been a nice little extra though, because it was actually like supposed to like end on a, like a mural. It's going to like go through, what's it? Hold on. Let me read it actually here. I found it somewhere. Okay. It was actually a post credit scene that saw the remaining vampires like licking their wounds in the sunken hotel. Um, It was meant to end on a shot of a mural from the early 1900s that just showed Max looking exactly the same. So, you know, that's as a post credit scene, which is apparently what that's supposed to be with. I mean, okay, that's perfectly fine. I mean, I love the way the movie ended in, in real time and I would love that as a little extra post credit scene. Um, as far as uh, the sequels, I've, I've already kind of spoiled it here. This, the second one is my favorite one. Um, I actually just watched them both again for the second or third time. Um, this past weekend. So they're pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, the third one isn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, the first time I watched it, I actually like it a lot. The, the problem with that I have with it is that, and I won't ever pick it. So I might as well just talk about it here. But like the, the frog brothers like are the main, and you get some good little, good little scenes in it, but they're the main focus. And it's almost like you're, you're watching almost a, uh, blade, you know, just like a hunt, like a hunting down kind of movie, which is just different. You know, it's just, it's just different. Like it's not bad at all. You know, I would, I would still give it a, a six or six and a half or something like that, you know, as a rating. So it's not bad. Um, but the second one to me is, is definitely my favorite one. I just, I just love everything about it. Mike, you Obviously got I can't answer anything about the sequels, but I like the ending. And again, I don't know a ton about it, but if we're just going with the ending on the comedic line, from grandpa, I kind of think that's awesome. I think, you know, Dustin, you touched on it. This is the horror comedy. Uh, I think they, they, they ended it exactly how I would have. I think it's brings a little levity, a little realism back to it. And just, you know, the grandpa knew there was these vampires the whole time and didn't say anything. So I think that's really, really funny. Uh, I, I can't speak on the sequels, but I'm kind of looking forward to, to watching and talking about the second one. Maybe it'll tie up some loose ends I have with this one. And I'll just go ahead and jump to Joe's question, friend of the show, Joe. Uh, have you seen them all, and which one is your favorite one and why? Uh, no, and I guess the first one's my favorite because it's the only one I've seen. <laughs> I was going to say, this is my favorite one because I haven't seen the others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen the first two. Um, I can't speak on the third one yet. I'll report back. Uh, I do like the second movie. But I'm going to have to be opposite Brian here. The first one is my favorite just because it's such a classic. Oh, it, it's definitely good. Uh, Michelle asked, 
or she said, I love this movie. When you guys watch this movie for the first time, did any of you know who the head vampire was or were you surprised when you were found, when you found out? I was surprised because I didn't know that I didn't know that the rule of the vampire had gotten changed. I figured if they ate garlic or saw their, if you saw a reflection, they weren't a vampire. So I was kind of uh, upset when I got the surprise ending, honestly, when the reveal happened. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Um, I honestly don't remember how I felt the first time I watched it. I know for a fact, I mean, I didn't figure it out or anything like that because it was very well done. And, you know, if you watch this, obviously, multiple viewings, you can really see the subtleties and the things that kind of put in, like, you know, that makes the second viewing. And even though, you know, the reveal still really good. But I, I don't remember how I felt the very first time I watched it. I, I know I didn't know that. I know I didn't know it spoiled it or anything like that. That's for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I same it. here. I don't remember my reaction the first time I watched it because it's been so many years ago. But watching it this time through, uh, I could see, I you know, put myself in this situation and be like, what did I think the first time? No, I definitely didn't see it coming. Um, but at the same time, like I said earlier, I do think they tried a little too hard to throw us off Max's trail. So had I watched it at my big age now for the first time, then I might have picked up on that. Yeah, it's Max. They're trying too hard to make us think it's not Max. But um, it's okay. Uh, it, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, Mike. you know, I've kind of touched on it. I liked it. Uh, I thought the reveal of Max is a good reveal. I just, uh, the first time watching it, it definitely surprised me upon, you know, two rewatches now. Obviously, they do, you know, they do a pretty good job of, 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 laying some groundwork, but I feel like there could have been more. There could have been a little bit more explanation as to how he's the head vampire being invited in the home. That kind of is a little muddy for me. Uh, but I, I do like the reveal. I just wish they would have gotten there maybe a different way. All right, here's the last question. This is from It's Megan Marie from Instagram. Uh, she asked, if you could change one thing about the franchise, what would it be? And I'll, I'll just go first. Uh, since I haven't seen the franchise, I'm just going to comment on this movie. The one thing I would change is I would add more horror, like horror scenes to this movie. That's what I would change. I, I would, if I could change one thing about the franchise, I, w- I wish we had more backstory. I wish that, that we had more character development, more uh, peek behind the curtain to find out how this came to be, what led them to, you know, to this to becoming vampires and what their life was like before just more. And I touched on the interview with the vampire. So I guess I wish this movie was a tad or this franchise is a tad more like interviews the vampire. And I wish they were sparkly like twilight. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> if I could change anything about the franchise, it'd be uh, not having vampires. Okay, go ahead. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, so Peter Pan. <laughs> okay. Um, Let's see if I could change. Okay. So, and we're going to talk about this anyway, but I would change in the post credit scene. And I guess now that I talk, now when we talk about post credit scenes for two movies, I mean, Marvel stole this idea from the lost boys. So there it is. Um, but in the post credit scene to the thirst, or I mean that the tribe, the second one, uh, Sam comes back. Um, and you do you haven't you've seen Sam since this movie, and I wish that that would have been in the movie. I wish it hadn't been a post credit scene. I brought that up to Dustin, yeah. who who likes that movie too, and yeah. he'd never even seen that scene, right. so he didn't even know it existed. 
So, and it's such a big deal like that. I think that should have been in the, in the scene with that said too, in the third film, I think they should have carried a little bit more over from the second one. And they didn't really, it's like, there's not very much continuity there as far as like, they just move on to the next thing. And I just, I like that. And I wish they would have, they did a lot from one to two. I wish they'd have done a lot from two to three. So that's my kind of take on it. All right, let's jump into our fun facts real quick. Uh, I just got a few from IMDb. I'll knock mine out real quick. Uh, the movie was filmed in only three weeks. That's pretty awesome. In the documentary Blood Sucking Cinema from 2007, Corey Haim said that all the blood had glitter in it to give it a shimmering effect and was, in quotes, slimier than other fake blood. Uh, every year at the landmark Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk in Santa Cruz, California, this film is screened as part of the park's free summer movie series. Beachgoers may bring outdoor furniture and supplies to watch after sunset. Many features of the town shown can still be recognized, most notably the rides and games of the boardwalk itself. This movie invented the phrase vamp out, which had passed into common usage on the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And the last one I have is, according to the writers, the character name of Lucy was chosen to reflect with Lucy Westerna, I guess is how you say it, from Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that's the only one I have. That's the last one. I only have one. Um, it's uh, the new location of the uh, Atlantis uh, Fantasy World comic book store, which was uh, featured in the film. Uh, is actually owned by Joe Ferrara, who still carries the original number one issue of Vampires Everywhere that Sam reads in the film. Um, the comic was created only for the film, and its opening pages is signed uh, by all of the cast members from the movie. So the uh, the owner, Joe Ferrara, will actually allow any shopper to hold it and take a photo with it. Free yeah, that's of pretty charge. cool. Um, so I've, I've got just a few. I, you guys touched on a couple that I had, so let's run through these real quick. Uh, this is, of course, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman's first movie together. They went on to do multiple films together and be the famous uh, darling Corey and Corey connection of the 80s that everyone grew up on. Uh, like Mike said earlier, Santa Carla is based on Santa Cruz, which actually was dubbed as the murder capital of the world in the 70s when they had 28 murders in a 30-month stretch uh, by serial killers, including Ed Kemper. Um, Feldman interestingly enough was almost left off the cast of this movie because he was dealing with a, and he was dealing with addiction issues. He showed up to the set coming off a cocaine binge and kept dozing off on set and got fired. He returned the next day and apologized to Joel Shoemaker and was rehired. Uh, that's just, man, that's tragic. He was 16 years old at the time of this and he was dealing with addiction issues like that. So that just puts into perspective the, uh, life that these, uh, Teen, st- uh, teen stars and childhood stars are, are dealing with, man. They've got a lot on their plate at a young age and develop unhealthy habits. Uh, this one I thought was very interesting. Jim Carrey was considered for the role of David. Wow. Oof. You know, he, he was in... Well, Damn it, that was my other fun fact. <laughs> Dang it. Sorry, pal. But uh, yeah, that would have been interesting. He, uh, he actually, you know, he was cast in the uh, vampire movie Once Bitten which was referenced in this movie. Uh, there was a, a, I can't remember how, but there was something visible in this movie, like a poster or something from once bitten. But I thought that was interesting. I couldn't imagine Jim Carrey. I couldn't imagine, honestly, anyone other than Kiefer Sutherland in that role. 
uh, because he does did such a great job at it. And then the last one I have, it has nothing to do with this movie, but it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, Brian mentioned half of this earlier, so I'll put the other half of what I had here. Jamie Gertz, uh, her and her husband are in the ownership ownership group for the Atlanta Hawks, like Brian said, but they also are the in, in the ownership group of the Milwaukee Brewers, Major League Baseball. So wow, yep, it's pretty cool. Did not know that. Well, I said my I said my one fun fact earlier, and Dustin, you know, kind of touched on the Jim Carrey thing, which I thought was really cool. Uh, so I'm glad that got out there. Uh, this movie was made for 8.5 million dollars, and the box office was 32.2 million. So pretty cool profit margin there. Obviously, that makes sense why it had uh, original sequel and then a third sequel about 20 years after the fact, so, or a second sequel to the whatever you want to call it. Uh, it makes sense why this is a franchise because, you know, when you make a movie for 8.5, you make 32.2. Pretty good job there. Yeah, but usually you don't get the sequel 20-something years later. So Normally uh, that's a bad sign. I haven't seen it. I'll reserve my judgment. It's also uh, bizarre that both sequels were direct-to-video. Uh, you know, given the success of this original installment, it's crazy to me that both sequels – were uh you know didn't get theatrical releases i can understand the second one maybe maybe but yeah when you see that the fan base is still there because the second one was a hit as well and carried the same cult following you would think the third they would have came back and be like okay we'll put this in the theaters would you i'm glad you said that because i have a question for uh you and brian do you consider this a cult classic like is it is it a popular movie or is it a cult classic? To you? I think it's, I think it's a popular, popular movie. I don't think it's a cult. I think it's pretty popular. I mean, everybody I know, I mean, it's very, very talked about popular movie. I think, it, I think it kind of teeters on both. Uh, that might be a cop out. I don't care. Sue me. Um, I, I think this is a very popular movie, but uh, you know, I actually run into people a lot like this week when I was talking about this, the movie we're recording, uh, there's a lot of people that had never seen it, so maybe it is, maybe it does teeter on just the the cult. Those that have seen it are very loyal, and uh, in that regard, I don't know. It's, it's I could see both, but it's more popular in my opinion. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but it just it seems like a lot of people like it, but you know, maybe they're just a silent or a a very vocal minority. I don't know. I'm kind of with you, Dustin. I think it's a little bit of both because I think I think you can throw Ghostbusters in the same thing. It's very popular, but it's got a huge cult following too. I, I think it's both, uh, but I'm not as educated on both of these movies as you two gentlemen are. Two of the greatest, two of the greatest um, <laughs> movies ever made. Am I right, Brian? Oh, oh, absolutely. I beg your pardon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, who wants to go first tonight? I can go ahead and knock it out since it was mine. All right, so uh, my favorite kill, I said it earlier, uh, David's kill of the guy at this campfire just because it was so so brutal. We didn't get a lot of that from this movie. We didn't get a lot of brutality, a lot of gore, a lot of uh, shocking violence. And so I really respected it when we did get it. Um, that was my favorite kill. My least favorite kill had to be Max just because it was kind of anticlimactic. Um, if it, for him to be the head vampire, I wanted a long, drawn-out, fight scene we didn't get that he kind of went out like a little punk um so so i had to go with max as far as my rating goes listen this movie is one that i grew up on uh not necessarily grew up on i think i was a teenager first time i saw it but still it's a movie that has stayed with me a lot of a lot of years 
It's a movie that I can throw on any given day and watch and enjoy. So the rewatchability is a huge factor for me. I don't think there's many flaws as far as the uh, acting or the script. So this one checks a lot of boxes. I'm going to have to go 8.75. All right, I'll go next. Uh, favorite kill, I chose the exact same thing as you, Dustin. Our person killed at the bonfire scene with the head bite from David. Uh, I love the reveal, the look, and the scene itself. Uh, my least favorite kill, I picked all of the captures from the air that were off screen. Uh, but I didn't like the ones at the end that much either. Uh, the rating I wrote, I watched this twice and enjoyed it a bit more the second time. Uh, it's pretty well paced and with some interesting characters. I think David's vampire look and the other three's look is great once revealed. And I always love seeing Corey Feldman in a film. The few cons, I think the kills are very meh for the most part. Uh, like I said earlier, the whole inviting a vampire to your house, negating their weaknesses. I've never heard of that, and it bothered me. And I also wrote, if anybody wants to give feedback uh, to listeners, if that's true, I'll gladly remove that from my negatives. I've just never heard of that. Uh, I also didn't like how easy it was that Michael killed David at the end. Uh, and I honestly thought the whole ending was kind of just meh. Uh, I w- and like I said earlier, I wish they would have had more horror elements along with the fun scenes. And I wrote overall an enjoyable film that I liked, but I didn't love it. I wrote six and a quarter as a rating. That's not bad. Uh, Brian, you um, want to go, go last? Are you going now? Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'll go ahead and, I'll go, ahead and go. It's no big deal. Um, my favorite kill is the same one, uh, the campfire one. My least favorite kill, though, was uh, Alex Winters. Um, and only, I mean, it looked good, very good effects on it, but it just bothers me that he stabbed a stake through him like that so effortlessly. I don't know. It's just, it was the way that it happened that, that bothered me the most, I think. And because it was Bill S. Preston Esquire, he deserved a better death than that. I don't, I don't is that Marco, the one in the cave? Uh, is it, I don't know. I don't even know his, his freaking vampire. Name. It was the one where the um, three but yeah, It was the to... one where he's hanging upside down okay, and yeah, okay, he stabbed okay. him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, shit, I don't, I've always called him either Bill or, or, or Axe Winner, so I don't know. Um, my rating, I actually gave this one an eight. Um, Again, like it's, I told all my reasons really. I, I like the movie, and it's just, it's one of those that just, as it gets better to me with every watch. And, uh, um, yeah, I love it. We all have the same favorite kill because it is definitely the coolest kill in this movie because we're a movie where a lot of the kills are kind of lame, not, they're not the focal point. Uh, that's definitely takes the cake. For me, my least favorite, also Alex, because of the exact same reasons you said. Uh, just just a little bit, to me, a little too effortless, I guess you could say. So uh, that's my least favorite as well. Okay, so this movie has a lot of good going for it. It has a great cast, great directing, uh, cinematography, the way, you know, even just the little nuances about the way this movie is shot, they get right. And on a budget of $8.5 million in 1987, it's really well made. Like it, I, I think it holds up. I think most of the effects hold up. Uh, you know, I've already kind of tipped my cap to all the acting. However, just for me personally, uh, I can enjoy this movie if I'm in the right mood for it. Uh, but it's not something I can flip on every time and have a good time with. If that makes sense. And again, that's not the movie's fault. That's my fault for just not being into the genre of itself. Uh, I think it's a good horror comedy, though. It's got some really good funny parts. Uh, but Nico touched on it. I wish it had a little more horror. Uh, 
But and I think there there could be a darker, better version of this movie. But that's kind of a preference, not you know, not to take anything away from the movie that was made. Uh, all that being said, enjoyable up until the last probably 25 minutes or so. And then it just kind of loses me. It really does. And it's unfortunate because I think they had a strong, you know, a, a strong base here. All that being said, I gave it, I gave it a 6.75. Okay. So that, Nine that puts our uh, composite score at a 7.4375. And IMDB cumulative of uh, score. With a hundred and twenty-five thousand and ninety-eight reviews, is a seven point three. <laughs> oh wow! It's almost like we know what we're doing on this show. And I just wanted to say, like Mike said earlier, when we did Thirty Days a Night, very, very early on in our podcasting career, I also admitted I wasn't a big vampire fan. Uh, I don't know if the, what I think was missing for me. What I think would fit in—I don't know if it fit in this movie, honestly, but. Like in 30 Days a Night when the vampires just go ravaging on the people. If we had maybe one more of those kind of scenes, like the bonfire, like another one of those in this movie, I might have liked it a little bit more. Just just have one more really dark, scary scene. I would, I, I think that would have been a good addition. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, Y'all got I, any final thoughts? I agree with you, Deco. Just a little bit of a darker element may have not turned this up for me because I do – think the dark scenes are done really well and I just kind of feel like there should be just a little bit more but I understand when you have an hour and 38 minutes to work with you got to kind of get everything in so but I mean it felt to me it just felt like how many times is Sam going to go to this damn comic store and get this vampire comic over and over can we get can we get one more scary scene (laughs) but y'all got any more final thoughts before Brian announces his pick for next week Go ahead, Brian. What's your pick for next week, brother? Freestyle um, pick. I've put this off a long time, but uh, um, you know, we we just interviewed on uh, don'tgoutthere.com, um, the main one of the main stars of this film, and uh, we're going to do uh, "I Know What You Did Last Summer." Yeah. All right. Looking forward to hey, it. That's kind I, of a, yes. that's what I would consider kind of a cult classic. I agree. Very excited to talk about it. Uh, by the way, when you people hear this, it'll be co-host michael's birthday so so i'll let y'all know that when this show drops it'll be my birthday <laughs> happy birthday yeah. brother uh, yeah and as far as uh hey, as far Dustin, as i know what you did last summer yeah it might be a cult classic but also if jennifer love you had ever started a cult i would gladly join so there's that justin i believe you mean jennifer love pfefferman oh sorry sorry that's a bull meets world yeah, reference you're right, you're right. i love it uh dustin just wanted to say uh this was a fun movie to watch i'm glad you picked it i enjoyed it uh yeah uh we're on behalf of all of us just want to thank all of our listeners who really appreciate the support and uh we'll be back next week with another awesome review just want to remind everybody
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.